It's time for Twit episode 293. Find out why Dwight Silverman calls this our best episode ever. Might have something to do with the panel. Kevin Rose is here. Nick Bilton from The Times. The uh, formerly Engadget editor, Neelay uh, Patel. What's he doing these days? And Dwight Silverman from The Chronicle. It's all coming up next. Stay tuned for Twit. Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Audio bandwidth for This Week in Tech is provided by Winamp for Android, the ultimate media player for your desktop and Android device, featuring wireless sync. Download it free at winamp.com slash Android. Video bandwidth for Twit is provided by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Twit. This Week in Tech. Episode 293, recorded March 20th, 2011. Undressed for your comfort. This Week in Tech is brought to you by GoToAssist Express. If you're in tech support, solve problems fast with the leader in remote support software. GoToAssist Express. For a free 30-day trial, visit gotoassist.com slash twit. And by audible.com. Sign up for the Platinum Plan and get two free books. Go to audible.com slash twit2. And don't forget to follow Audible on Twitter. User ID audible underscore com. And by squarespace.com. The fast and easy way to publish a high quality website or blog. For a free 14-day trial, go to squarespace.com slash twit. It's time for Twit This Week in Tech, the show that covers the week's tech news. And boy, that some of the biggest tech news just happened. Let's get our panel on, and what a great panel it is. Uh, starting in the upper left-hand corner, Mr. Kevin Rose. Hello, sir. Thank you for having me. Is it safe to say formally of Dig? Uh, we can talk about that. Yeah. All right, all right. I think it's safe to, it's founder. Safe to say that in some way. I'll say founder, Dig founder, uh, host of uh, Dig Nation on Revision 3, founder of Revision 3, and uh, blogger at... Let's say he's a blogger now at KevinRose.com. You can say that for now. <laughs> I want to find out what you're up to. We're excited to have you on. Thanks for joining us. A regular uh, panelist. We love having him on from the Houston Chronicle and the tech blog there, Dwight Silverman. He's also the host of a great radio show on Pacifica in uh, Houston called, I can never remember. Technology Bites. <laughs> oh, how could I forget? That's right. You've been on it a couple of times, Leo. Show. Great shows having you on. It was wonderful. Uh, also with us, uh, as long as we're talking uh, about people who have uh, lost their jobs or given them up. <laughs> I didn't lose anything. I, I gave it away. He, he gained a, he lost a job and gained a, I don't know, Nilay Patel. It's so good to have you. Hey, it's great to be here. Uh, you were the big story last week, your resignation along with Joshua Topolsky from Engadget. We were a minor story. There was a, there was a much bigger story in the world last week. It was, well, there was, of course it was, but... Uh, in the tech world, we led with you. <laughs> I and guess I, you know. I had uh, we had um, we had uh, Ryan Block and um, Peter Rojas on, and I said, "What's the story?" And they said, "Well, he probably just got tired of blogging." Yeah, I hate the internet, and uh, that's this a is the last thing I'm going to yeah. do on it. I think. That's good. I think it's about time. Frankly, somebody yeah. gave up this thing. And uh, speaking of ink-stained wretches, Nick Bilton, who is the most hip uh, with it guy in the world, and still writes for a Dead Tree Journal. Soon to be hidden behind a paywall, the New York Times. Hey, Nick. <laughs> Bravo. <for> me. Bravo. <laughs> and the crowd is going crazy. So, uh, yeah, we have to pay for the Times now, huh? 
Well, soon, soon enough. Interesting. But you'll be able to get it for free if you if you're if you're smart about it. Not that I'm condoning that, but no. <laughs> no but it that, sounds like you're condoning it. Isn't I'm that go the, ahead and said it. You yeah. just condone that. Isn't that the problem with a paywall? Is that uh, it really doesn't stop anybody? Well, I think it stops the people that uh, don't know how to navigate the web in certain ways. Um, but you know, I think that I I really don't think it's going to affect people as much as. Uh, as they anticipate, I think that paywall is going to be pretty far back and there's going to be so many ways to get things that, you know, you won't really see it unless you're a really hardcore New York Times reader. And in that case, you're probably willing to pay for it. In sure, some way. sure. Well, I subscribe. So I presume as a subscriber, I'll get a break of some kind. So do you, do you, do you get the print, the, the, the old yeah, paper? I get, I, I do. I get that big, thick, heavy thing on my doorstep every Sunday. And uh, I love it. Every it. Day. I, the Sunday wouldn't be Sunday without the New York Times. I, I I subscribe, but I, I get it on uh, on this little guy right here. Yeah. Oh, you got a white one, huh? I got a white one. You did it so that everybody would know you had an iPad too. Am I right? No, it's you know you got to try to. <laughs> I I got the black one. You know, it's funny because the black frame uh, makes it look like a bigger. It's optical illusion. It looks like your screen is bigger. Mm. It's that extra optical inch. What color did all you guys get? Kevin, what'd you get? I got black, but uh, I haven't gotten mine yet because I ordered mine off the internet. So oh. it's backed up two weeks. Yeah, at least. At yeah. least. Dwight, Dwight, uh, what did you get? Did you uh, get white, have, Dwight? I still have the original iPad 1, so one. I have black by default. He's got a 1. I don't feel the need to get one. I think it's enough of, I don't think it's enough of an improvement for me to go out and shell $400, $500, and the Chronicle doesn't feel it's enough of an improvement to expense it for me. So I'll just, uh, I'll just watch everybody else. I'm kind of with you. I don't think there should be any stress for people who have iPad 1s that they didn't get. No, the it's iPad great. Two. In fact, I'm, I did a... Thank you, Apple. Thank you. <laughs> right. I did, I, 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 I did a review of for this for this Tuesday's uh, Dead Tree edition, which by the way we now hold our columnists out for a day off the web before they go. Oh, on the, so that's kind of like the beginning of a paywall. Yeah, yeah. and um, and I did a review of GarageBand uh, for uh, iPad, which is an incredible piece of software. And I went to the Apple Store and played around with it on there to see if there was any difference. And when I was done playing with the iPad 2. I, you know, I wanted one even less because I just felt like it, you know, it, it really didn't do that much for me. Yeah. I, have an, I have an iPhone 4, and so if I want to do FaceTime, I can do that. Right. Nick, what, what were you saying then? Um, I, I think it's a game changer. I, I really do. Like, huh. and, I'm, 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 and there's a lot of Apple things I don't like. I despise Apple TV. I, you know, I have some problems with the MacBooks and, and things like that. But um, I really do think that it's a game changer. And I think the game changer is, sure, it's thinner and it's lighter and... And um, and it's got the cameras and it's much faster, which was one of my big complaints. But I think that, um, but the smart cover um, changes the way I entirely use this thing. <laughs> no, I'm, too, hey, I'm not. I'm totally with you, man. I was I was uh, I was with Dwight. I wasn't going to get one, and I've been playing uh, with my brother-in-law's here and his smart cover, and I'm like, I want this. Like this is. For whatever stupid reason, everything about the smart cover makes this more usable in a lot of ways. You know, know Tom Merritt, who does our uh, Tech News Today show, has been posting pictures of the smart cover, like, on his refrigerator, on his yeah. water heater. Dude, it's just wait until, I mean, you know, third, we always get these leaks of uh, third-party cases, and, right. you know, they've got dimensions on a fox hunt or whatever, right. and they make these cases early. Right. They didn't know about the magnets, right? No. So this first wave of cases... Uh, 
Doesn't it doesn't have anything to do with this technology. Yeah. The second wave of cases for this thing is going to be bonkers. I can I, I can tell you. I've, I've been hearing. Yep. Uh, I've been reading. They're, the case manufacturers are super really? crazy excited about going after these magnets. Yeah, there's so much they can do. You know, they can the way they can build cases, the way they can make cases go on and off the thing. They have a lot of ideas. You know, Apple that the smart cover is just that's like the first thing you do with magnets. Like you. You stick it on there and you close it. Uh, case makers are, are going to be crazy. The keyboard cases for this thing, I think, are going to be great. It's like really uh, in our chat room, <laughs> I, uh, me, Claudius says, it's like Apple invented the magnet. Well, <laughs> you know, it's, it's like a refrigerator door, right? It's it's like the, you know, you used to have to clip and lock them and, and, and you know, and you never knew if the light was on and, and now you just open it. And I, I wrote a piece last week about how I timed myself using the iPad 1 and, and you open the screen and you press a little button in the right-hand corner and you swipe your finger, and it's about five seconds to do that. And sure, five seconds is nothing, but in, in the age that we live in today where we're utterly impatient about everything, it adds up to about six, seven minutes a week. And, and the whole thing with the, the smart case is it just it takes that, that pressure away from like, do I really want to open it and go through that little process? Right. It's a whole different ballgame. So you're saying I should, take the, uh, I should take the passcode off because that's just slowing yeah. it down. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm not getting the full benefit by I'm a lot. Getting the full, full yeah. 5.1 second uh, effect, you know. Damn, I guess I'll take this off. Boy, well, that's that's you. That's a great tip, right there. That makes it worth listening to the whole show, Nick. Thank you exactly. so of course, much. Now I'm going to be trying to steal your iPad everywhere you go. Yeah, right. <laughs> now, now I know I can get into it. Uh, it's actually the big story of the week has nothing to do with Apple. Whoa! When did that happen? Sunday. You don't usually hear Sunday announcements from tech companies. I guess it's not uncommon in Europe. That's why. Uh, AT&T announced that it was purchasing Deutsche Telekom's T-Mobile USA for $39 billion, billion with a B. And the press release immediately started spinning for the benefit of the FTC and the FCC so that they could get this by uh, regulation by saying, oh, oh, by the way, 45 million Americans will now get 4G networks, 95% coverage. This is, this is the Obama plan in action. Is it? <laughs> Uh, no, that's like that's pandering to the Obama plan to get regulatory approval in action. Absolutely, they're saying uh, we're bringing we're bringing broadband to rural America by by buying T-Mobile. Yeah, which is not rural America yeah. at all. Like yeah. you just have to hope there's a lot of eye rolling at the FCC. <laughs> well, it's, it was it was so obvious. It was like, yeah, well, I mean, immediately they said, and this is good. This is good. Don't no, don't worry. Now, I'm here's the question. So tired. I'm getting so tired. I'm going to do my Dvorak imitation early. I'm getting so tired of these companies merging and saying, this is good for the consumer. This is nonsense. You don't take away choice and end up making it good for the consumer. This, that's just absolute BS, and it makes me matter every time I see it. Will it's like when uh, AT&T and uh, what was it, Singular merged. Right. They, right. they promised like more bars. I, I, I never saw an additional bar on my phone no. because of the merger. <laughs> It'll make you want to go to a bar. Yeah, <laughs> and I did. Hey, Neil, I never asked you, white or black uh, iPad 2? I'm going to get white. You know, I, I had a black one. I think the white one's pretty stylish. Um, yeah. I have a feeling my fiance is going to get black, so we'll have two. So there you go. Well, actually, if you did, if you are a two iPad two household, it's good to get different colors. Yeah, although you know that now the cases make it, you can. It doesn't matter, right? 
I haven't decided what color case I'm going to get. I'm leaning red. I think white with a red case. It's amazing. It's got to be a direct... This is like a real conversation that we're having. It doesn't matter, right? It's like a bunch <sighs> of magnets like and pieces of This like the IMAX like 15 years ago or whatever, you know, when all the colors came yeah. out, the whole spectrum, everyone was like, what color should I get? And there's this big decision. Same okay. thing. Which color? Which color? <laughs> I, you have I like just a think... bright red IMAX, right, I, Kevin? Of course you did. I, I'm, going, I'm going all black with the iPad, oh, too. Very, black yeah. on black. Very stylish. <laughs> I'm just... I think the profit margin built into this... Is, I is actually stunning. I actually have different color cases for different outfits that I, oh. I switch out on it. <laughs> oh my god! Does you're anyone have a have a leather? You're so one? fashion leather forward, Nick. This is leather. It's identical to vinyl. Tell me, can you tell? No. No. no it looks extremely luxurious. I want to You know what the difference is? The difference forty dollars. That's the difference. I want clear on mine. Clear. Well, somebody want clear. It's well, a good idea. Clear would take even less time off of the magic because then you just wouldn't even have to take the cover off at all. The plastic looks cheap. It looks like the plastic you used to see on Shea's lounges in the 60s. You know, it's, uh, I, I think I think uh, uh, Neely's right that what you're going to see, this is a proof of concept in the, uh, the other cases that you'll get from, you know, folks yes. who can protect both the back and the front right. much better. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, everybody I know as a smart cover loves it, and they also complain about how the back of this thing is already scratched. Mine is too. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, you know, that's it's such an obvious place for a case manufacturer to go. I mean, I can't. We're gonna. I, the, I think just the sheer number of crazy ideas around magnets that we're gonna see. Yeah, it's funny yeah. That you said it's like Apple invented the magnet. You know, they didn't, but they, they're the only company that like really goes crazy with magnets in this way. Like the MagSafe connector on on the MacBook continues to like lead the industry in terms of how do I plug this thing in? And it's just yeah. crazy that they no other company is like, gonna make oh, a prediction. I'm going to make a prediction. All MacBook right, Pros, MacBook Airs are going to have the same kind of thing happen very yeah, soon. Screw Thunderbolt. We got magnets. Yeah. Right? yeah. We'll you know, I just want to point out case. that the probably the biggest story in technology, the AT&T buys T-Mobile story, has once again been buried, flooded by the tsunami <laughs> of the iPad cover. Wow. You went with tsunami. I know. That's too soon. Too soon. Too soon. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Um, 20 magnets. Did you see the iFixit teardown of that? Yeah, it's 31. 31. Oh, I'm sorry. 31. Yeah. I didn't mean to short shrift the magnets. <laughs> it's just, it's a lot of magnets. It's it's, it's crazy. It's but I, I think magnets. we should probably talk about at and I think it's probably bigger news than the smart cars. No, it's a lot of magnets. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're going to see an insane clown posse uh, uh, song to go with uh, one of the Apple... If you oh, get the yeah. reference. Dude, the smart cover uh -huh. blew ICP's mind. You have to imagine that they're like, man, these struggles don't know what to do. <laughs> there's there's 31 total. There's 20 in the cover you and 11 in the iPad. The literal net has corrected you. Like, oh. Well, 31 in, in the, the I, I'm sorry. There's 31 total, but you don't imply that there's 31 in the cover itself. You know? <laughs> this is why I quit the, quit the blogging game so I can make assertions <laughs> <to> that. <laughs> You apparently, magnets. you apparently have been smoking crack again. Yeah. <laughs> so with the AT&T thing. Yes, um, thank you, Nick Bilton. I'm going to share it back on course, even though I was the one that pulled us off course. Um, I think a big part of this is, is the 4G network. Like they, it, It's all about the data. It's not even necessarily about the, the subscribers. They don't even mention telephony in the yeah. press release. Right. It's all, it's all the first thing in the Q&A is about 4G. It's, it's, I mean, that's the... They're trying to be ready for Verizon and, and, and the 4G network, and, and this is one way to do it. But I don't think they're wrong. I don't think people care that much about telephony. 
Well, yeah. you know, the telephony services on both networks run over the same bands, right? I mean, if you, this is like if you unlock an iPhone uh, and you put a T-Mobile SIM in it, the, the telephone works and edge data works because those are the same bands. I think the big piece for AT&T and T-Mobile is that they're going to roll out 4G across far more spectrum. And T-Mobile does actually own AWS Spectrum across the entire country, which is, I think, where that rural America piece comes in. Because AT&T kind of, you know, it, it owns a, a huge chunk of Spectrum for 4G, but it doesn't have quite the footprint that T-Mobile does in that AWS band. And I think that's really the acquisition for AT&T. I think they don't care about the technology. They don't care about, you know, you know T-Mobile's version of HSPA+, which they brand as 4G. I think this is almost a spectrum acquisition for AT&T, and they get all the other stuff for free. Well, that's uh, my that's question. Really you know, uh, T-Mobile has not been able to go to uh, 4G. They've only been able to do HSPA+. It looked like they were at the end of the line with L. They couldn't get to LTE. So how in any way does acquiring these T-Mobile towers help roll out LTE to AT&T customers? I... I is there a benefit? Well, I guess they got rights of way. They could build new rights of way. That's it's that's all about big, rights of way. In places where, you know, comp, uh, where where they have been restrictive in terms of putting up cell towers. You know, T-Mobile may have some in places where AT and T doesn't, and ah, vice versa. This okay. gives the ability to put that LTE up there. The the other thing is, is if AT and T wants to do LTE so bad, why haven't they gotten on the stick? Why do they have to acquire T-Mobile uh, before they they get after it? And anybody who's tried uh, the HSPA Plus that uh, AT&T is starting to offer is 4G know that, knows that it's a joke. T-Mobiles can get up to, uh, I've gotten up to about 15 or 16 meg down on, uh, on T -Mobile. a T-Mobile phone. Yeah, But that's because yeah, nobody that... uses T-Mobile. <laughs> it's because you're the only For one now. on, that, on right. that cell tower. Right. Yeah, Until they spread it out 15 to or 16 is half of what you get on Verizon LTE, right? Again, because uh, nobody's using it. Well, sure, but I mean, I'm, well, yeah, sure, but as soon as it's overhead, what, as I'm everybody, saying nobody's using T-Mobile to max out of 15, and nobody's using Verizon right. it's out of 30. I mean, right. I'm going to pick the one where when people are using it, it's, there's more headroom. You think it'll you be know, faster? I, okay. I think in the end it'll be faster. I, I mean, think and, it's and, not it's, constrained by the technology. I think it's constrained by the amount of bandwidth brought to each cell tower. I think no, that's a that's a big piece, and I think T-Mobile has been traditionally ahead of uh, doing the backhaul for their for their towers. But the backhaul you know, is the whole thing, right? Right, AT&T has a huge network, so putting backhaul to every tower AT&T has is, you know, it's been a challenge for them. It's especially been a challenge for them in places like New York and San Francisco, where the towers are, are hidden within infrastructure, and merely getting the backhaul to the building or whatever the tower is in is hard. I'm going to uh, miss my uh, free tethering. My, uh, I mean, T-Mobile has a lot of nice, because they're the, you know, also ran, they're more competitive. I think they're cheaper. They're definitely cheaper, right? Yeah. Um, but, you know, for the longest time, I think everyone assumed that Sprint and T-Mobile would find each other. They've been dancing around each other for a, for a long time. Uh, I'm curious how this at and T-Mobile -T coming together, how that's actually going to affect Sprint. Well, because don't you Sprint. think Verizon now buys or attempts to buy Sprint? I, maybe. I, you know, I, I think <clears throat> Sprint has a big opportunity to become that low-cost uh, you know, highly competitive, highly differentiated carrier that offers more services faster. And that's how I would go if I was Sprint. I don't know that I want to just merge my way into Verizon. Sprint's found its way in sort of recent years, right? They did the Evo. They're leading with 4G. Uh, well, I think where, what Sprint has done is, is, and where it would make sense for Verizon, is that 
uh, Sprint has really kind of pushed the uh, the little MiFi's that you know they were the leader in that mm -hmm. for for a long time. But the other thing they've done that that a lot of people don't know about is they've developed partnerships with people for essentially what the Web of Things will become, right? Uh, and so the you know they're they're creating SIM chips and things like that that go into devices that are not even cell phones or tablets and. Um, and things like that, and I think that's going to—that's a big part of what their business is going to be in the future. So it would make sense for Verizon to to go down that route. Maybe though, that's a, uh, that's a tough regulatory decision. Maybe that's one of the reasons that AT and T and T Mobile wanted to get this consummated, because if you're first and you get now there's three carriers, it's a lot harder to go from three to two than four to three, right? For, from a regulatory point of view. They take the first step, right? right. They, they they essentially get the easy path. They preempt. It's going to be a lot harder going the other way. Yeah. And the yeah, other thing to keep in mind about Sprint is that they're right now using WiMAX as their 4G, and there are lots of rumblings it's about terrible. them moving to LTE. It's got to all be LTE. Yeah. Right. And in the in the long term, uh, uh, LTE will carry voice as well as data. So eventually, you're going to lose the the current uh, way of doing voice, and it'll all be uh, voice over IP and it'll be on LTE and everybody will have that. So it'll be a single standard regardless of the mergers. Now, the chat room's going crazy at me because I said T-Mobile doesn't have 4G. T-Mobile says it has 4G. They advertise 4G, but there's some debate over whether their HSPA plus yeah. implementation it qualifies. No, no, T-Mobile began lying. This is I mean, it's a lie. Very simply, they began lying and they prompted AT&T to start lying as well. And they prompted carriers in Europe to start lying as well. I mean, <laughs> you know, 4G, I think 4G doesn't is, have a meaning, in other words. Is that right, true? Yeah. And the ITU let them kind of get away with it, right? right. And you have to say 4G is a set of technologies that enables these speeds. You can't say it's just these speeds. Um, you know, and there's some amount of interplay between, well, the consumer just sees the speed, so we can call it 4G. But I think it's a lot to do with the headroom, with how the data is being transferred. It's not just we made HSPA faster. faster. Um, and, you know, Dwight, to your point, I, I think you're right, you know, um, and Leo to you as well. It has to be LTE, you know, and there's sort of, there are a lot of rumblings about how this might be anti-consumer, uh, you know, and especially I think if Verizon by Sprint, there's going to be a lot of talk about whether or not removing two players from the market, two major players from the market is bad for the consumer. Um, I think there's a flip side, you know, I'm not totally convinced of this, but I see the argument that if you have two huge players that are using the same standard and you think about access as a utility, and now we're competing uh, on the same utility and phones, LTE phones can go from carrier to carrier if they support the right bands. That might actually be good for the consumer. It's been an because advantage in Europe where they do have GSM. It's kind of a standard. And right. you can buy a GSM unlocked phone and you can move around from carrier to carrier. That's Assuming been they have a lot more carriers. They have a lot more carriers in Europe. There's more competition but, there. And, but the assumption there is that the the important innovation is happening at the handset level, it's happening at the software level, the apps level, and it's not happening in the service level. And that's a big assumption, but I think you could argue that that's the reality, that the access as a, as a service, that layer uh, is you know, pretty standardized. We want it to stay standardized. We don't want to rate, you know, the, the real innovation, the real effects of competition should happen at the, the handset, the device, the apps level. You could make the argument. I'm not 100% convinced of it, but I see it. No, clear. I think that's, that makes sense. I think it also, uh, when you have a, a single standard, it makes it, you, get, you do see more innovation. Look at, I was talking earlier today about the, the PC marketplace took off because you had a Wintel standard that everybody could write to and that, that was very powerful. That's very strong. And I think that that's not a bad idea. Uh, it simplifies it for consumers. They have one choice uh, technology-wise, and now they can look at service, support, uh, innovation, thing, and coverage. 
I, I just have a question. How many magnets do they have? <laughs> you, it's your, it's your fault, Nick Milton. We're, we're going to, this is a fascinating story. I'll just, uh, one more question for y'all, and then we want to move to another story. Uh, Kevin Rose, will they get regulatory approval? Oh, uh, uh, yep, yep, I don't hear you. <laughs> Kevin's sitting on the mute button. Oh, we can't hear you. Kevin, I don't hear you. Are you muting? Well, there's no mute button on that thing. Is it me? There we go. There Whoa. we go. Thanks. Sorry about that. That's okay. I didn't even know Skype had mute. This does. <laughs> Amazing. Um, so, yeah, I think they will. I mean, for me, I don't really care about all this. I'm going to jump to Verizon. I'm going to sit back. I'm going to watch it all unfold. I'm going to enjoy actually making phone calls. Oh, wow. And, you know, just uh, I'm happy. I'm happy I don't drop calls anymore. And that's all I care about. And I'll jump around and buy whatever little MiFi device is the fastest could be Sprint, could be whoever comes out with the you know the latest one, and that's that's all I'm doing. Dwight, will they get regulatory approval? Uh, I think they will, and I say that sadly and cynically. I'd like to see the FCC uh, and the Feds man up and say, uh, no, this is not good for consumers, and we're not going to let you do it. Right. You you agree, uh, Neil? Uh, you know, I think they will, but I think the way the FCC is going to man up here, this is a huge opportunity for the FCC. They're, you, I think wait they're a minute. Say, you use the phrase man up, the words man up and FCC in the same sentence? I do, because wow. I think this FCC is, uh, you know, they were shell-shocked by what happened in their reactions to net neutrality, mm -hmm. but I think they're committed to it. And this is their opportunity to say, you can do this, uh, but here are the conditions for wireless access that we're going to yeah. let happen. Uh, and that, this is their opportunity to do it. Uh, I hope they seize it. Maybe I'm just being an optimist. Uh, but I hope they seize that opportunity to say, yeah, we'll give you regulatory approval. But the conditions for that approval involve really strict net neutrality yeah. uh, conditions. That's interesting. You agree, Nick? Yeah, absolutely. I think. I mean, I think it, maybe it's going to be a little tough and there'll be some drama in the press about it and uh, about whether they'll get approval. But I think that they eventually will. But the, but the FCC really has an opportunity here. You know, they've been really trying to get. Um, accessibility for people that can't afford these high prices for data and phone calls and cell devices and things like that. Um, and with this, if they approve it, they have the opportunity to say, hey, look, if we'll let this go through as long as you do X, Y, and Z. There's another strong argument. I think it reminds me of Sirius XM, which really was a crazy merger because then that was only one. But they, they, were, they had to do it because they would have both gone under. And I think you're going to have the same problem with Sprint. I think T-Mobile is just not viable by itself. You, you've got... <laughs> It's, you've got two big, strong companies, AT&T Verizon, and the, and the rest are also RANs. Nick, Nick made an interesting point about um, uh, extending uh, services to lower-income folks. There's actually a, an FCC-related success story with that with uh, AT&T and DSL, where AT&T required as the – I forget which merger it was, but where AT&T required as a result of a merger that um, – the FCC required that AT&T use uh, – offer $10 DSL. And they did so for a long, long time and got a lot of people uh, onto broadband who had not previously been on broadband. And then, of course, once that period was over, they started jacking the price up again. But it brought people online and made the network more valuable. And so I think that the FCC does have an opportunity here. And if they end up approving it, I, I like what Nick says. So opportunity. Right, and, you know, and, not, and not for me, you know, it's weird for me to bring up AOL, but when AOL and Time Warner merged, uh, the same thing happened. You know, they, they put all these restrictions over how both companies could offer access, and specifically broadband. There's a lot of precedent here for, AT, for the FCC to say, here are the conditions of right. a merger. Let's hope so. Let's hope they man up. Uh, we're going to take a break. We are uh, talking with a, what a, a prestigious panel. I don't think you can get more prestigious. Kevin Rose, Dwight Silverman. 
Eli Patel, formerly of Engadget, and Nick Bilton of the New York Times. Uh, I got to ask uh, Neilai and uh, Kevin what's next for them, and I, uh, we, we've got some questions for you guys. So prepare your answers. Before we do that, though, I would very much like to talk about our friends at Citrix, the folks who do a product. They, you know, they're the kind of the kings of remote access, but they do a product for support folks that is just stellar. And I want you to try it for free for the next thirty days. It's called Go to Assist Express. Kevin, I think we used this on the screensavers many moons ago. Uh, we were we were trying, we were hoping we could fix people's computers, uh, you know, on on the show remotely. It never, we never, it just never really took off. But that's again, we were a little early. We were the first to use uh, net cams too on the show. Yeah, people were still on dial-up back then. Yeah, it wasn't really easy to do, was it? <laughs> uh, now you can do amazing things thanks to high-speed internet. Uh, Go to Assist Express means even if your client or, or your customer doesn't, or your mom or dad doesn't have it installed, you just send them a link. It's a very quick install for them. Easy too. They don't have to know anything, and boom, you're in. The net, you know, nat traversal and things make it so it's very trivial for uh, for this to work. It is 128-bit SSL, completely secure. It has a lot of features designed for the support professionals, such as the ability to do eight sessions at once. You might say, "Well, I don't. Why do I need to do that?" Well, you start an install on one machine, a scan on another machine, and uh, you can see why you might want to move around. It also uh, will tell you exactly what software is running on the machine, including operating system and security software. You can drag and drop fixes from your computer to the other. You can even show, I'm not sure how useful this is, but I think there's times when you might want to use this. You can show your client what your machine looks like and say, this is supposed to look like this. What, <laughs> you know, uh, you can, so it's really very flexible. Cross-platform too, Mac or PC. Go to Assist was just named the worldwide market leader in remote support by Frost and Sullivan. They're an analyst group that specializes in this. And now you could try it free for 30 days. Go to assist.com slash twit. G-O-T-O assist.com slash twit. Try it for 30 days. They have day passes, a very affordable monthly fee, but you've got it for free for 30 days. You, I think you could probably find some uses for it. And we thank Citrix. They're great people for their support. They just announced their uh, iPad app for Go to My PC, which is just awesome. Go to assist.com slash twit. Wow. Uh, Kevin Rose... Wait, I just, uh, real quick, Leo, um, <clears throat> my colleagues at uh, the Times, Andrew Ross Sorkin from Dealbook, he just posted a story that I just saw about the AT&T deal. And, uh, um, and they were saying that, that Dutch Telecom, which owns T-Mobile, um, is so worried that the deal won't be approved that they required that AT&T pay a $3 billion um, breakup fee um, if the thing doesn't go through or something like that. So, wow. That's so a that, scoop. So so it's so it, you know I, it, we're we're all speculating whether it'll happen and it looks like it's it, it is going to be a bit of a struggle but they wouldn't have gone through with it if they didn't think it was going to so well does that have, I mean doesn't some, I would think sometimes you might have somebody just say well we don't know but let's try yeah I mean that that's happened before behind the scenes and and things have have stopped you know right before they went through the gate so right. it, it's possible <laughs> Kevin knows a little bit about that <laughs> <laughs> so Kevin what happened or did you, did you actually resign. Uh, resign is is, uh, is a strong word. Uh, basically, what happened is, um, um, you know, I've uh, when the new CEO joined Dig about six months ago, Matt Williams, uh, he took over he took over duties in in the day to day operations of of everything going on uh, at the HQ. And basically, um, my role was more of a kind of board member advisor to him. We'd get together for you know weekly lunches, things like that. Um, so really what the news is is more just me starting something new and not really leaving Dig because I've kind of been 
you haven't been that part of the day to day anyway. Yeah, it's been it's been a while since I've been really day to day involved. Um, so the TechCrunch so yeah. story that announced this also says you uh, close or are closing a one million dollar plus financing round for a new startup. Care to confirm or deny? I will have something to announce in a few weeks. <laughs> You've always been so cagey. Can you give us an idea of what category? You gonna stay with news? No, no, it Social. will be nothing even close to. It's going to be consumer-based stuff. Um, I'm, Just tell me you're not starting a netcast network. I am not starting a netcast network. <laughs> That's all I ask, Kevin. I'm not doing, I'm not doing any more podcasts. Like kind you. of, you know, I'm, I'm staying doing Dignation and this other one foundation that I do. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've, got, um, I've got some ideas I want to try in the mobile space. So we're, we're going to do some mobile stuff. It Kevin, be I, have a, I have a question. Um, you you are the founder of Dig. It's been how long now? How many six years? years? What's six, that? Six and a half years. Six and a half, six and half years. years. How do you? I mean, you founded it. I and I know you you've wanted to sell several times, and things haven't haven't happened. How do you feel personally about about what happened and and where you know and, and having to leave of your own accord, of course. But like, how do you feel about you know on a personal level, not a business level, about about what the end product is and so on. Yeah, I think that, you know, a few months ago, I'd have felt really bad just kind of backing out because there was a lot of really bad stuff going on on the site with the user revolts and uh, the, the servers the crashing. Dig, the Dig4 transition. Yeah, after, after Dig4 came out and it was clear that we, you know, everything from all the issues we had technically to some of the bad product decisions that were made, um, it was a bad time to leave. So, uh, you know, traffic has been actually not bad. It's, it's been up over the last couple of months. Um, in almost, uh, I, I don't know, they're going to actually, I think we'll be talking about that soon. Dig will be talking about that soon. Um, so it's, you know, Dig's making double digits of millions of dollars per year in revenue. We still do about 20 million monthly unique visitors. It's, uh, the, the tales of it being dead are greatly exaggerated. I mean, it's, it does a, a, a insane amount of traffic. It's still a top 100 or so web property on the net. Um, and traffic has actually started to increase. So, I don't feel bad about the timing. It sucks. It's it's my baby, you know, so I'm always going to feel tied to the product. And, uh, you know, as Matt wants to get together and talk about product ideas and everything that he wants to do with the site, I'm more than happy to take those meetings and sit down and figure that stuff out with him. Um, but, you know, for me, six and a half years, I'm just like That's burned a, a little time. bit. So it's yeah. going to be nice to have this little break away from that, be able to do something else, and then hopefully creatively get back into the mode of thinking about social news and being able to help out from an advisory role. So I would recommend the break. The break is pretty good. Break I'm enjoying good. myself. <laughs> another another quick question. Um, what when you start these new startups that you're about to get funding for, what do you what lessons will you take from Dig that things went wrong or right that you can apply to this new these, these new products? Yeah, absolutely. The first and foremost is that um, in the early days of Dig, when we started uh, bringing on employees, we were growing so fast from a traffic standpoint that our solution to problems was throwing warm bodies at the problem. So, you know, we needed more coders, so we were just bringing coders as fast as possible, hiring, hiring, hiring. And all of a sudden, you know, I woke up one day and I looked around and there's, you know, 20, 30, 40 people around you. I don't know these people. I didn't interview these people. Uh, we got in a lot of uh, some B and C grade talent. You get some, uh, some B and C grade developers and they bring their C and D grade friends in. Um, and all of a sudden, you know, you have a big challenge when it comes to... Uh, getting rid of those people and bringing in new talent. And I think Matt's been done a really good job, our, our new CEO at, at hiring. We, we probably added, I don't know, 
maybe 10 or so people in the last um, six months. And so just kind of making sure that I'm involved in every aspect of hiring. You're, you live or, or die by the quality of your talent that you bring in. So I'm handpicking every single person that I'm working on this, this project. It's going to be extremely small. I don't want to raise any insane amounts of capital for this business. It's going to be, you know, a team of five, maybe six people. Um, and, you know, we want to stay nimble and, and just build some really cool stuff. And will you, uh, will you uh, be cautious who you decide to take funding from based on things that happened with Jig as far as sales that didn't go through and things like that? No, no, it's, it's funny. It's like the, the board, everyone that we worked with at Dig from an investor standpoint has been phenomenal. I have had no problems with our investors. In fact, I would gladly take money from them again in the future if I ever need it. They're a little bit bigger kind of tier investors. They're more venture capitalist style. Um, you know, the round of financing that I'm raising now is going to be very simple, just, you know, a bridge slash convertible note, uh, really easy terms. It's like three pieces of paperwork that you need to sign, mostly all from friends and angels. So big chunks of it from friends and angels, and then a couple bigger super angel kind of small tier VCs. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, if I need bigger, more capital in the future, which I don't know that I necessarily will, I might need a little smaller chunk, but if I do, then I'll, I'm going to go after, uh, I'll probably be working with the same people I worked with at Dig. They've been great, great partners. Greylock was one, right? Greylock was awesome. Uh, Highland Capital, another awesome one. Uh, you know, it, those guys at uh, Greylock, David Z, who's on the Facebook uh, board and he's been on our board for, for six years. He's been a great partner and just a, a sage, just in the corner helping us, uh, helping us out. So, um, yeah. Well, you know, you're still doing Dignation. We know that you're going to continue with that show. Yes. Thanks for forcing me to crowd surf this week, by the way. That was awesome. <laughs> I love watching you crowd surf because it's always kind of scary. Part of me is like, oh, they're going to kill Leo, and then part of me is like, really close to dropping me, dude. You know, my mistake was when I, first of all, there were six of us. It was you, me, Alex, Lisa Bettany joined us, Brian That's Brushwood, bad call. We Prager, have done and they were distracted. Right. <laughs> they, yeah. all, they came real close to dropping me because they're all going, I don't want to be holding Leo. So, um, well, and part of it is that, you know, you have two types of geeks that are out there. You got geeks that have some, you know, some yeah, strength, a few weaklings. Some yeah, them, yeah. And then there's a lot of keyboard geeks. <laughs> You get a little so, worried they might drop you. If you're going to crowd surf, don't crowd surf geeks. Is your <laughs> no, it was fun. You've done that before, right? I mean, the only two times are with you. Yeah. We both, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. And you're going to stay on the board or you'll be an advisor? What will your yeah, role so, be? Advisor slash board member. So just really getting in there and helping Matt out with product stuff and then just coming in for those uh, monthly board meetings and, and helping out there. But, um, again, I, the good news is uh, there's a lot of tech crunch dig as dead posts. Dig has a ton of cash in the bank, like millions and millions of dollars, um, and a ton of traffic. And actually, traffic that's finally ticking back up and seeing some growth again. So, you know, I, I'm optimistic about their future. I think that they've, that they've got, finally got a really good team that can scale and iterate fast. Um, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. I think you're actually, this is a pretty good time. It's it's um, it's on a good, it's look, it, there was trouble with, with Dig4, but but it's it's a solid company. And I think you, you did what you you did what you like to do, which you, you created it, you started it, you got it going, you got it through some rough times, which I'm sure were difficult personally for you. Uh, but you've got a company that's, that's, of, that's a, yet far from dead, as you point out, uh, that's, a, that's alive and working and succeeding, and it's a good time to leave, I think. 
Let me ask you one question. And I, yeah, you know, this it. is something I think about a lot. Um, you know, with Dig, there was a lot of, a lot of the big strength of Dig was the users directed so much of it, right? And I think that a lot of the problem with Dig 4 was that you took away some of that control from the users. You gave it to more site managers, even to third-party publications with RSS and stuff like that. Your new project, uh, which way are you going to go? Are you going to go totally users or are you going to be curated? What's, what's kind of your... Screw your, the users. Boy, do they... Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, Just teasing. Because I don't really think that this new project really works like that. So, but it's it's all consumers using it. There's no, it's not nothing that has to do with curation. Well, it, it's not. It's hard to explain. It's but, different. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't I don't need any editors or anything like that. It's something completely different than Dig. Um, well, I guess my question yeah. is: it top down or is it bottom up? You know, it, it, it's, it's bottom up. Okay. It is it's bottom up. up. Um, I, I think that. The tricky thing with Dig, and this is the biggest mistake, one of the big mistakes that I made with Dig before, I think, um, <clears throat> you know, one of the things that, that, that when we look at Dig as, uh, this is the hard thing about taking venture capital as well. When you take a look at how big Dig uh, eventually grew to become, at our peak, we were doing about 38 million monthly uniques per month. So right now we're, we're at about 20. When you look at the peer group of who we were in, and all the other like similar sites at around that that scale. That's you know the CNNs of the world, the MSNBCs, everybody else. We were a big news site. Um, I don't know what the New York Times does. Uh, you, Nick, do you know what what you guys do in uniques wise? Uh, I don't know what the latest numbers are. Twenty, yeah, so, thirty, maybe. Yeah, so it's, it's the same ballpark. The same, in other words, yeah, same ballpark. So one of the things that was you know that was discussed a lot within the company was. How can we get out of this kind of cats jumping off of diving boards news <laughs> and more into mainstream news? And the, the belief was that if you get into more mainstream news, we can actually get people voting on, on things that are just more serious topics. One, it looks better for the company and valuation of the company and all that. And the other thing is that, you know, we could be a hard-hitting news site and we could eventually continue to grow and get to that 50, 60, 75 million uniques and, you know, be this breakout successful social news site. So... A lot of the features that were designed in V4 were you know, with the publishers in mind. You know, like, how can we get their content in the system easier? Well, let's automatically import it via RSS and put one dig on it. How can we get more mainstream news on the front page? Well, let's suggest users that are mainstream media. We we're really trying to, like, play to mainstream media. No one paid us to be on that list. We we're just trying to, like, could we create a, a homepage that was more like that? The users don't want them. When they look at dig, they said, this is where I go to kill 10 or 15 minutes of my day when, I, when I'm done reading CNN or I'm done reading those mm -hmm. traditional news sites mm -hmm. and I want to just go see the fun stuff. And we never embraced that, I don't think. We never embraced how really we were about that. That was our, that was our culture. And I think that was, a, that was kind of a mistake that we made. And, and, you know, there's pressure from all different types of people at the company to kind of go in that direction. And I bought into it and, and said yes to a lot of things I probably shouldn't have. And um, it's cool to see Dig now going back to that original thing, like saying like, screw RSS, we're getting rid of it. Um, you know, the, the, the design, everything, the functionality is, is more aligned with what it once was, which I think is a good direction for them. I, I think the other thing that, that is fascinating with Dig, um, and I still use it on a regular basis, uh, but one of the things I found fascinating covering it and, and also knowing Kevin early on is that the, the, it's an interesting uh, sociological look at what uh, when the users control the, the the system and when they don't, and you can see that there's there's times that Facebook has had to relent, right? As you know, with some of the privacy things and, and things like that, and there's times that they haven't. There's times that Twitter has had to say, okay, we're going to change this, and there's times right now, especially where they're like, no way, we're doing what we want. 
Uh, and I think it, it was really fascinating to watch how the users um, revolted in some respects and sometimes accepted things. Um, it, 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 you know, I think that that's been a really interesting part of the whole social aspect of, of what Dig is. There's also a huge amount of snobbery of people who don't like it when the users <laughs> say how it's people's. You know, what's wrong with cats and toilets? That's if that's what people want. Well, that's even right. from a publication standpoint, we always race to get engagement stories on the dig first and to sort of get the it's dig. Very powerful. Yeah. And you know, yeah. and that, you know, you know, we're tech news, so there's a sort of you know, the new iPhone and a cat in a toilet in a lot of people's minds. Pretty they, much they equal. Live right next, yeah. they, they live right next to each other on yeah. the internet, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so when they rolled out the RSS tools, when you guys did all that, we're like, oh, this makes it so much easier for us. People will, will just find it. But what actually happened was that everybody's iPhone story hit dig and without sort of the user curated right. aspect of right. this is the one I like. Here's why. Here's a note about it. And that sort of we saw our dig traffic kind of like nosedive. Yeah, After and that, that hurt us also because a couple things. One, it hurt us with uh, Google SEO. So we lost a lot of, of traffic from, from the SEO juice of those original titles because those users were oftentimes going in there and typing in their original title versus what you guys had put in there, right? So if Google looks at two pages that are identical, it sees the Engadget post and it sees the Dig post, and they both have the exact same title, it doesn't care about the Dig post. It's going to go straight to the source, right? So when, when Dig had a lot of this original content in the titles and descriptions, that was actually really good for Dig and drove us a lot of traffic from, from natural uh, SEO. So we, we missed out there as well, and that was kind of an unforeseen thing. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm, I'm not trying to sound prescient or anything, but when Dig made its shift, there was a lot of excitement at places like the Houston Chronicle because we thought, oh, it would be easier to get good for our us. stuff yeah. into the stream. And I went and started to kind of build a Houston Chronicle area, and as I kind of watched what was happening, I thought – What's gonna, that there's just going to be a flood of this publisher content and we're going to get even more lost. And so I like I didn't continue it. I didn't put mm. our RS feed in there mm. because I thought that's not going to, you know, we're that's not the way to do it. The way to do it, Kevin, as you mentioned, is to do it with something that's unique and speaks to the dig audience as opposed to something that's automated. So we did mm -hmm. not do that. Right. Um, I don't know that necessarily that helped us in the long run uh, with stories, but... Um, uh, what I saw early on is what happened to Dig, and, and I'm kind of glad I stepped back. It's just It shows what a challenge it is uh, to do this. It's hard, yeah. It's, it's very hard. new stuff, and then it's Ill, Ill understood. I want to ask you, Neelai, about uh, you oh, leaving. No. <laughs> well, it's only fair. We grilled sure. Kevin. All right, right. all right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> so what happened? Uh, you know, look, at the, to the baseline level is... Uh, AOL paid me really well for four years to do whatever I wanted with almost zero interruption. So I'm not going to, you know, it was great working there. Engadget's great. I still have a lot of friends at Engadget. You know, I trained a bunch of those guys. They're really great guys. They're going to work really hard. Engadget will be successful. Um, but AOL as a company is going through a, a really big project right now. And, you know, to be so perfectly is it honest. Is the AOL way that bothers no, you? No, 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 none of that. None of that. Look, none of that. Um, absolutely not. None of that stuff is ever going to touch Engadget. None of that okay. ever touched me. That's what, when I say they, they never told me what to do, they right. never, ever told me what to well, do. That was, I smart. Appreciate that. that was smart. Um, well, you know, uh, I'm smart and all of my decisions are perfect. Um, <laughs> well, smart, no, you know, smart of Tim Armstrong but, you know, not we, to do that. Well, we had, we had an Engadget team and, you know, Josh was my boss and all this stuff. But um, I think Ariana is going to be great for AOL. She's brought more energy mm -hmm. and, and ideas and, you know, people respect her. She's inspiring people there. Um, She's cleaning house. You know, she's got a lot of ideas. She's 
in charge who's doing it. Um, and, you know, it's kind of like, what's the next step for me? And, and do I want to be aligned with, with AOL and, and their project and, and their goals? And it's not that I think they're bad goals or a bad project. It's just kind of like, I, I got, you know, I want to be Ariana Huffington, right? You know, like the right. end of it all. I'm arrogant right. enough to, I want to I run stuff. I want to be in control. And I, but now you and Joshua resigned at the same time. Was it a joint effort or was it just coinc was that coincidence? Uh, no, it was, you know, well, so the deal was I would be the next editor-in-chief. So when Josh resigned before me and then, you know, it was when I moved to New York to be the managing editor, that was part of the, the agreement. Um, and so then it was on me to be the editor-in-chief. And I, I took a weekend. It was a really hard weekend. You know, turning down the job of editor-in-chief is not easy. Um, it's the dream job for a, a geek, I think. Um, and I, I said, no, I, you know, I, Josh is great. You know, he's been a friend and mentor for a long time. Before that, Ryan and Peter, really great guys, really smart guys. Um, and, you know, I never thought I'm going to outdo them. My ideas are better about how to run a gadget site. I always thought, well, I can, I can probably do that. I can probably get to where they were. Um, but some of the, you know, it's, it's these goals. It's these big, huge bucket goals uh, and AOL's, you know, huge strategy shifts. And I thought to myself... Uh, well, you know, my personal goals, you know, they're not perfectly aligned and I need to figure out where to do that that, that is real. So, I, you know, I said, look, I, I don't want to be the lame duck editor-in-chief who's looking for an out. You right. know, I want you guys to grow without me, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say no. And that was a really hard decision, but that's what happened. You know, it's not – I wasn't like – I didn't like pick up a printed-out copy of the AOA and like set it on fire and like throw it in some <laughs> arms. And none of that happened. It was very clean. It's very right. easy. I'm still friends with all of them. Right. They're still asking me questions. I'm still helping them do whatever they need to do. And the next thing, you know – We'll get there. You know, it's interesting. It really strikes me. AOL is old media. They really are. You know, they're the oldest of, of the new media in a, in a lot of ways. And they've, so but, they, they become old media, and th that doesn't fit the new me you as a new media type. Yeah, you know, they've got a lot, you know, they, they run a, a bunch of properties, and they, they do a lot of things, and um, they have a lot of relationships with, you know, their other partners, and... <laughs> You know, new media is, is about being super agile and being really fast. And I, you know, I, I want to embrace new ways of doing things. And, you know, they want to, too. But I'm, you know, I want to go and write about what I want to write about and think about what I want to think about. And I don't want to be worried about what's happening at this huge company that I work for. Um, and, that, you know, some people are, are really happy with the stability of a large company. And they're going to be happy with the stability of AOL. Um, and that's great. And they should be. Uh, me, uh, you know, I, I like to, I, I'm interested in, in seeing what something a little bit leaner is like. Very interesting. Am I being cagey enough? I no, think that's perfect. You're good. And it was one last question. Do you so do you have a plan of place to go, or is this somewhere are you casting around, or are you looking for something? Um, you know, right now I'm talking to, to everyone. I've gotten a lot of very flattering job offers. I think if you're down on yourself, the best thing you can do is quit your job uh, because apparently it, it boosts your ego. Well, you know, that's not true for it. everyone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, it's, it's the first time I've ever quit my job like this, and it, it's, it's worked wonders. So uh, getting a lot of very interesting offers, listening to a lot of people. Uh, you know, it's weird in the industry is when you're competitive with your peers, um, you can't have real conversations about tools and workflows and, right. and directions for the industry, right? You have very cagey. Two journalists talking to each other is like two attack dogs just sizing each other up in a lot of ways. Um, and now I'm, I'm getting to have very honest conversations with people about how they think the industry is going, you know, how tech news should work. Uh, tech news, I think, is a very strange breed um, just because of the relationships you need to have in the industry. Things like, you know, we talked about the Apple smart cover for 
10 minutes at the top of the show before we talked about AT&T and T-Mobile. And you've got problems, like sort of structural problems of how do you convince readers that things other than Apple are interesting? And right. it's kind of a big deal. Uh, and you get to have really, I've had some really awesome conversations uh, around that stuff and around, you know, what we're going to do and how it's going to work. Um, after that, you know, I think that's going to take a few weeks. Um, after that, I, I think I'll have something more interesting to say. Good. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. I'm, I hope it was not boring. <laughs> Even if it was. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> We're talking with Kevin Rose, Neelai Patel, the new media, the old media access. Although I have to say, Nick Bilton, you are you are a little uh, skunk works within the New York Times in the sense that you absolutely are cutting edge within the New York Times. So I don't. But outside, I'm just a I'm a total loser. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't say that. But don't, don't quit your job, okay? So. Uh, <laughs> We're going to take a break, come back with more. Dwight Silverman is also here, who's always a good friend from the Houston Chronicles tech blog. Uh, we are talking about the tech news. I want to talk a little bit about uh, uh, Twitter's decision to... Uh, we talked a little bit last week, but I think that this is a very interesting ch uh, change of uh, direction for Twitter uh, to kind of uh, tell the third-party uh, app developers, eh, maybe you don't want to do a client. What, is Twitter? This is an interesting question for Twitter. Strategic. We're going to give them some strategic advice in a moment. But before we do, I think I'd like to talk a little bit about Squarespace.com, the secret behind exceptional websites. We use it for our uh, our uh, Inside Twit blog. I know, Kevin, you're a Squarespace user. Squares I am indeed. Squarespace.com. I saw the new one, new version, by the way. Have you? Okay, yeah, they were going to show it to me, and I didn't get a chance to oh. see it. Can you say anything about it? So Anthony, the CEO, mm -hmm. uh, I, I met up with him. He, honestly, I think Squarespace is one of those things that's like, Anthony is such a brilliant product guy. Yeah. Like from a, from a UI and UX like experience, it's insane. And I'm not I'm not saying that they pay dignation. I don't have to say that now. It really is cool. Right. You'll see it in a, in a few months. But it's, yeah. I'm They've excited. been talking about this for two and a half years. You think it's pretty close? Yeah. I mean, it looked like it was ready to launch, and he said, "Oh, I got, I got to." He's a perfectionist. You right. Know? He loves everything perfect. Right. And he's like, "Oh, I need a, a, like two or three more months. I just want to get everything just right." And I'm like. Launch that now, dude. It looks awesome. Well, here's the beauty. If you are a Squarespace customer, you get it automatically. This is the nice thing about Squarespace. You know, once again, I use WordPress on my personal blog. I don't know why. I should really move over to Squarespace. We, do, we use it for other business. But, uh, you know, somebody sent me an email and said, you know, dude, you're running uh, 3.0 of WordPress. There's, there's major security flaws. you got to update. And I said, oh, crap. The nice thing about Squarespace, it's hosting plus the software. And, it's, and the updates just come along for the ride. So you don't even have to think about it. Uh, by the way, really simple to set up an incredible site. You can try it for free right now at squarespace.com slash twit. Click that green try it free button. You don't need to give them a credit card, just a site name, password, email address, and this little captcha here. And now for two weeks, you've got full access to all the Squarespace tools, including the, the API importer for movable type WordPress, TypePad, and Blogger. That means all your comments, your links, everything, your images, they all work. You can so export you them to too. Use. Oh, it's so gotta, it's fantastic. You got to import your WordPress over. You got to convert. Yeah, I should. Well, I've done it a couple of times, you know, and I just can't pull the plug. I got to do this. I, you know, I look at the iPad app and the iPhone app and think, boy, I'd love to moderate comments that way. The integration of social media. I mean, you don't, again, you don't have to be a designer here. What they've got is these widgets. Like, here's the Flickr widget. And it's, you know, sliders and buttons and boom, and you got it. You can have the, the, uh, the uh, thumbnails or you can have the, uh, the slideshow view. A lot of photographers use it because it's so easy. There's the Twitter. Uh, widget couldn't be easier to add this. They got widgets for everything, including a simple RSS widget. So that means anything with RSS you can add right 
to your site. Now, sure, if you know CSS, you can use CSS in JavaScript. You're not limited, but it's just so that people who don't, who are, you know, aren't spending their entire life learning how to do web design can get great sites. And just take a look at the example sites to get a sense of what's possible here. Uh, incredible. Businesses, photographers, artists of all kinds, uh, musicians, bands, podcasts, of course, radio stations. All you got to do is go to squarespace.com slash twit and set up that site, that first site, and create it for yourself. If you don't have a website, you've got to. You've got to own your presence on the net. If you know somebody uh, who, who you think uh, should have a site, you could set it up for them and just hand them the keys and say, here, starts at 12 bucks a month for hosting, the best hosting out there, and great software. Squarespace.com slash twit. We thank them for their support. And can't wait to see version 6. Very excited. I'm jealous you saw it. They, you got to check it out. They came up to me and said, you want to see it? I said, I don't want uh, and I And I didn't get to see it. So. I got to bounce, Leo. All right. Hey, Kevin Rose, it's been great. Thank you for uh, joining us. Uh, congratulations on your next chapter. I can't wait to find out Thank more you, about sir. it. sir. Dwight, Nick, Neline, good seeing you guys. Good good see you. Good night. KevinRose.com or uh, at Kevin Rose on Twitter. Either way, that That's works. It. Thank you. Thank you, Kevin. Take care. Okay. So let's talk about a little bit about the uh, Twitter. Um, they... Uh, what do you, Nick, is it a slap in the face to third-party developers for Twitter to say, hey, use, we're not going to support you guys anymore. Use our, you gotta, you got to start using the... Um, um, you know, I, I, I'm going to preface this with that I, you know, I'm friends with Ryan Sarver, who, who runs all of this stuff at Twitter, um, and, uh, and I, I'm not sure if Ryan makes the decisions or if it's other people. I'm sure that, you know, it's a big group, but, but I do feel like, and, you know, he's an amazing guy and they do amazing work, but I do feel like it's a bit of a slap in the face because if it wasn't for, you know, when I think back to when I first started using Twitter in early 2007, um, if it wasn't for those third-party apps, I never would have had the opportunity to use it. Right. If it wasn't for all these these third party experiences, I could never have used it. Well, exactly. And, it's like uh, dance with the one who brung you. And I get and I understand that they want to control the experience and control the ecosystem and all these things. They want you to I, see the ads. But but at the same time, and they sh they need to find a solution that works for both the, the the goal that they have and the people that brought them to where they are because. It's like it, it's like you know getting a ride from a hitchhiker and not saying thank you. It's like you know, <laughs> like you, know you just walk away, you get out the car, and right. it's like excuse me. Hello. So yeah. I I, well, I, I understand both sides of it, but I I don't think Twitter is going about it the right right way right now by by just um, ignoring everyone and saying if you if you step on our turf, you're going to have trouble. Right. Well, well you know, in, I guess in addition, Nick, you know the the Twitter apps aren't all that. No, they're uh, terrible. A lot of things, yeah, there's a lot of things that they don't do. If Twitter had the, uh, the definitive top apps that had all the features that you needed, then it wouldn't. I'm, I was really upset that Twitter removed uh, support for third-party URL shorteners because it, it gives you um, analytics. Right. If yeah. you have to use their t.co, you don't have any way to know what's happening to your clicks. And that's just really irritating. I mean, that's, mm -hmm. that's, they're making their money on the backs of the data, but they're not sharing that data with the people who are creating the data. Is and anybody that, surprised that that's, that, that, I mean, God, come on. Are you surprised? This is how they've been all along, I think. Well, I'm not surprised necessarily, but um, uh, I agree. I mean, it's, it goes back to dance with, dance with who brung you, yeah. the, the, uh, the community has brought them where they are, and the developers have brought them where they are. And by taking this stance, they're cutting both off. I think that's, I think that's just wrong.
And I, and, and I, I, you know, I just to reiterate, like, I really don't think that they should say, oh, you developers can do whatever they want, you know, and, and, and we're going to do whatever we and you know, I, I, there's a balance in there. And I, I think that, you know, to, to, to your point, I, you know, the, the, the user interface, I mean, I, I was a user interface designer for years. And, and one of the things that drives me bonkers about Twitter is you pick up that you download their apps on any device and it's a different UI and it's a different look and feel and it's utterly confusing when you bounce between them and and because of that for example I use Echo Phone on my phone and on my iPad right Echo Phone because, is great Echo Phone because, is awesome but I do it because there's consistency between the two I don't do it because I prefer Echo Phone over Twitter if I pull up Twitter on my iPad and Twitter on my phone I, I I'm like in in this world I don't understand and yeah. I think that that's uh, that's one of the the, the the big downsides to to them saying if you build um, apps we're not going to support you. Well, and they you know, don't have an that app for the biggest... that you're finding is, um, you know, they could say, you know, they said, we want to focus on our own third-party apps because we see all these inconsistent user experiences. Um, and we want people to focus on using the right terminology and some other stuff. But they could just enforce that. I mean, that they write the contract. They write the terms of use, right? You could say, if to use a Twitter API, you must call a retweet a retweet, right? You must yeah. say, you must be able to open images in line. Some some set of standards, and they could approve all the apps. Um, but I, that's not what this is. It's it's pretty obvious right. because of that. That the, what this really is, is is they want everybody to see the dick bar. Yeah, pretty much, right? Um, you know what's funny though, Nick is, I at that first stage of Twitter when I, I, I'm just like you, I only used it because of the great apps, and I used it because of Tweety on the Mac, and eventually because of Tweety on the iPhone, um, and now those are the apps that they own, and it's kind of like, well, that. Is that sort of fine? I mean, I use the apps to use Twitter because Twitter didn't make any apps. But if they had, it, I might have just been fine. I might have just used. Well, the but that's apps. the point: is that when they launched, they didn't have the resources to make the apps. They allowed that was the success. The secret of the success of Twitter was this third party, the very good third party API, and encouraging third parties to to uh, to piggyback on that. If they didn't, they, if they didn't have the third party API, first of all, I, don't, I really don't think it would be what it is today. I agree. Second, I don't think right. I don't think APIs would be what they are today. I think they. We're at the forefront of, and it was by chance. It was a, it was a happy accident that their system, their system didn't work, but the APIs kind of did, and and people built things right. on that. And I, and I, you know, I think they need to acknowledge that. But the other thing that you just said about, you know, maybe they need to create, um, uh, you know, better terminology and things like that. I've been talking about for a long time. I don't understand why there aren't essentially design guideline APIs. You know, if I'm going to build something on Twitter, maybe it's like if, if you want that app in there, maybe you have to be a little Apple and you say, hey, it has to be green and this button has right. to look like this. And right. we'll, exactly. Right. And Apple know. does it across. You know, it's funny. It's, a Apple does it at a, at a, at a orders of magnitude more yeah. apps than Twitter would have to deal with, right? I mean, they figured that out. You know, maybe it doesn't work, and obviously everybody has issues with the App Store, but you can't deny that Apple has a system in place for enforcing the apps that come well, into their store. And ironically, even before the App Store, Apple did that. I mean, Apple, is from day one, the Macintosh had very strict user interface guidelines, and people followed them. And if you didn't, you weren't Mac-ish. But, yeah. but, but, you know, what's, what's interesting about this conversation is not that Apple does it. You know, Apple does do it. What's interesting is that it's such an obvious rebuttal to what Twitter said when they, you know, said we're not going to do third, we're not going to allow third-party apps anymore. It's such an obvious rebuttal to that argument that, you know, we're, we're seeing too much differentiation. We're seeing too much chaos in the ecosystem of third-party apps. You can just say, well, look at the, look at the app store. 
Like yep. they're doing it in there and it works. Why aren't you just, why don't you have a Twitter app store and why aren't you taking, you know, 30% of the revenue for $1 Twitter apps because you've had this process of approval. And I don't see why that isn't happening. And they really haven't addressed the, this most obvious counter argument to what they're saying. All right. Enough the Twitter. one thing about Twitter is they Enough still Twitter. don't even have an app for the biggest computing platform of Windows. There's no official app. In fact, oh, most of the apps for Windows are awful. And if Twitter were to do what, uh, what Nelia is saying, you would end up with uh, probably a better Windows app. That's a good point. You know, you I mean, they're, I mean, they're right there is your case for it. Yeah. Yeah, but... but on Windows, all the apps are Air, right? I mean, they're bad, but there's a ton of Air apps. I mean, there's there's TweetDeck on Windows. That's what I use on Windows. I mean, there are apps on Windows. It's it's just that there isn't an official Twitter app. And there's no native. There are no native apps that are any good. There's one called MetroTwit that's being developed by um, Long Zing and uh, a few of his uh, uh, collaborators. <laughs> and that has a lot of potential. And there's been some discussion on Twitter about, well, maybe that's the one that Twitter ought to buy. And that's kind of, you know, seems to be that's how Twitter will handle it is rather than build one of their own, they'll, they'll buy something like MetroTwit. Well, you know, you can always use the website, which I think a lot of people do. In I think that's right. really probably what Twitter would like. I'm sure most of their monetizing is going to happen on the website, not in apps. Uh, let's talk about Microsoft. Did you know they're more Google than more Google? They're more ethical. <laughs> They're more ethical than Google, Apple, or Facebook, according to the, I've never heard of them, Ethisphere Institute. I love these organizations. I love getting involved. <laughs> Who the hell is the Ethisphere? You can't even say it. The Ethisphere I mean, Institute. It's like, you know how iSupply just appeared yeah. out of the blue, like, yeah. a, like however many years ago? Just They're awesome. They guessed. They are awesome, but they, they pretty much just appeared by putting a PR about right. how much they guessed things I, cost. I fix right? it, too. Well, but I think it's actually they do stuff, something, but, right? Yeah, yeah. But right. I supply is like we guessed this screen cost eighteen dollars and thirty seven cents, <laughs> and it's like everybody publishes it, and this is like the same thing. It's like this. We we guess message. we guess Microsoft's more ethical. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a great name, the Ethisphere Institute. Yeah. Definitely sounds like it should be in the next Biosphere game. They uh, they right. they have three thousand <laughs> companies on the uh, on the list. Google not even on the list. Apple not. Maybe they just didn't test them. Apple and Facebook not on the list. It's based, they say, on factors like history of regulatory infractions. Wait, 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 hold on. More than three thousand companies applied to be on the list. Oh. Maybe Google just never applied. Oh, you have like, to apply. Did Apple apply? Yeah, Apple, oh. Apple and Facebook probably just never. Do you think it's, Steve Jobs is like, guys? Yeah. We got to get on the Ethisphere hey. list. And you know, the <laughs> Ethisphere people asked for ten grand to be. Rated, right? It's like yeah. who's who. Maybe this. Maybe well, that would that be ethical? I don't I mean, think so. Actually, <laughs> maybe the atmosphere folks. Yeah, they shouldn't be on their list. Adobe, Cisco, eBay, Salesforce, and Symantec, and Zappos are on the list. Amazon, which owns Zappos, is not on the list. In fact, why am I even reporting this story? I apologize. <laughs> I retract. <laughs> I just like the headline. <laughs> I just like the headline. That's a, yeah, no, it's a great headline. I mean, that's why they put out the PR. That's now. called SEO, baby. <laughs> IE9 uh, is out. Dwight, you, uh, you reviewed it and uh, mentioned, by the way, that it's not for Windows XP. Yeah, what's interesting with, with IE9 is that according to the net market, um, the, the net applications uh, um, survey from last month, 55% of people are still using um, Windows XP. Mm -hmm. 
Right. That means, and and IE9 will not run on it. That means that Microsoft is basically saying we're giving up uh, for IE9 55 percent of uh, current users. Do you think and, is there a technical reason why it couldn't run on XP? Um, Microsoft has said that it's because of certain technologies that are in Vista and in Windows 7, particularly involving uh, hardware acceleration and the uh. way it works in those. But, uh, but at the same time, Firefox runs on, um, on Windows XP, and it has uh, its own hardware acceleration, and so does Chrome, although Chrome is a little bit further behind in those two. But so Microsoft could do it and simply disable it. But they're, I think what they're trying to do is this is part of Microsoft's push, just one more thing to make uh, Windows XP users feel a little bit less than they should. I'm sorry, just one more thing is a registered trademark of Apple Computer. And now <laughs> yeah, uh, no, I mean, look, this is like the best decision Microsoft has ever made. I right? agree. I think it's the, right it's the right decision. It's the right decision. You've and seen like, the so you've seen the IE6 countdown page, haven't you? Right. It, yeah. Right. From Microsoft. I just think if Microsoft being trapped, they've been so trapped by XP for so long in everything that they've done. They've been they've been carrying the burden of Windows XP with them, um, and you know hardware makers too. I mean, new new you can buy new computers that run Windows XP. That is insanity. Right. Uh, you really shouldn't that, be able to. Really? Can you computers. today? You could buy a computer with Windows XP on it. I'm pretty sure you can call Dell or Lenovo and be like, I'm an enterprise customer and I wow. really need an XP laptop, and they'll, and they'll send you one, right? But that's bonkers. I mean, yeah. if Microsoft wants to push itself forward and, 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 and stop being the company that sells Windows XP, they have to just stop being the company that sells Windows XP. Um, and, you know, Dwight, to say Firefox runs on anything at this point, I think is a disturbing <laughs> concept of running uh, in, in, in the broad sense. I mean, I, I dread every single time I click on the Firefox. Really? Yeah, I can't. Have you can't tried even, four? It's very slow. Have it's you tried really, four? It's, it grinds. I've tried, it just, it, you know, it, it's Firefox is the new IE. I think that's what we've come to. It's, oh I think there's God. a browser, there's a browser circle of life. <laughs> and everything slowly becomes Internet Explorer. And we've seen the rebirth of IE, and now Firefox is taking its place. I mean, I, I hope they, they take some radical steps at Mozilla to improve what's happening with I Firefox. think 4 is supposed to be a lot faster. Everybody likes 4. I thought 4, you know. I've seen some, uh, I saw some early demos of it uh, a couple of weeks ago, and um, and some of the HTML5 stuff is, is pretty mind-boggling that they can do. They, they showed me some games where... Uh, it, I mean, you just I thought it was a, a flash game or something like that that was actually working properly. Um, and uh, they've really done some impressive stuff with the HTML5 stuff. So I think it, it's going to be helpful because it's going to help, you know, drive people to build more web-based HTML5 apps, which is a good thing for, you know, the ecosystems that have, have evolved over the past couple of years for the iPad and so on. Um, so, you know, and it may be a little bit slow, but I, I, do, I do see a lot of positives with it too. This is the HTML5 Planetarium. Which I'm, I'm by the way rendering in uh, Chrome, <laughs> but uh, but that's the point of HTML5, is it not? That it's right. a standard. Yep. So although, as I understand it, if you run some of the IE9 demos that are HTML5 demos, and you try to run them in something other than uh, IE9, they don't necessarily run as well. From oh, what interesting. I interesting, I've not. I don't. Well, have and then each company has its own benchmarks. You know, Opera created the Acid benchmark, making sure that Opera is the only one that could get 100% on that. Uh, there is a, there's a Firefox created benchmark, and, and they all do best in their own benchmarks. 
So it's very confusing. For consumers, it's confusing, but I don't think consumers are really looking at benchmarks or anything else. They're I just think looking consumers at do a big browser switch every like three years, right? They get tired of IE, so they switch to Firefox. Yeah. Uh, I've been trying to get my fiance to switch to Chrome, but she knows Firefox. And one day I'll get her to switch to Chrome, and then there'll be enough inertia that I'll have to get her to switch to IE like three years from then. You know, I think that's how consumers do. Do all I, smart people use Chrome? That's, that <laughs> seems to be the case. Or I... Um, or on a Mac, I think there's a lot of natural inclination to use Safari. Not after um, Pwn to Own. You saw that, right? Five yeah. seconds to, to hack yeah. Safari. But every Safari. year, Safari is yeah. like... It's like, regular, it's like a regular right. thing. But, the, <laughs> but Apple put out patches right before Pwn to Own. Two big sets of Safari patches. They One of them they labeled an iTunes patch. But if you looked at it, it was all <laughs> Safari, right? And uh, their WebKit patches. And uh, still, they got hacked. Meanwhile... Google puts up 20,000 additional bucks in addition to the $15,000 prize for somebody to hack Chrome, and nobody even tries. That's, I no, think that's pretty I good. I didn't see that nobody tried. I'm out of the nobody news Nobody tried. I'm not, I'm not reading news like I Nobody tried. Yeah, you don't need to, Neil. In fact, I apologize, <laughs> yeah. Neil, for bringing you out of your coma. Oh, yeah. No, I've, been, I've been doing nothing but getting extremely drunk and passing out <laughs> in places. I drank something last night called Juice. J-O-O-S-E. It's oh, a competitor no, no, for no. Loco. No, it was, no, no, It wasn't no. good. Don't drink anything spelled J-O-O-S-E. That's a bad Juice, sign. man. And, and, everyone's like, Get and I tweeted a picture of it, and somebody immediately replied, I see unemployment. It's been good to you. So, <laughs> Where do you get juice? <laughs> Dude, I, somebody just added. I wasn't, I wasn't out there looking for it. I assure you, I was not seeking juice. Juice was provided to me. And juice found given, you. Given my lack of current <laughs> responsibilities, I, I took the plunge. I, I, you know, I think J-O-O-S-E is actually pronounced Jews. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Why do you have this picture? You just brought it up. It's made it. of people. Yeah, that's me it's, drinking juice. It's for Purim. I mean, that's it's for Purim. Jews like. for Purim. You were drinking a special <laughs> Purim drink. It makes oh me God. want to put a hat on and dance around. You know, on, uh, uh, on one more Firefox thing, I think one of the reasons why Firefox remains so popular despite, yeah, it, it has some performance issues, is the, um, is the plug-in and extensibility of it. I know people... But who that's why it's of, slow, because you guys that, are all right, running right, right, 800 right. extensions. Right, it's a double-edged sword. People kind of load it up, oh, I need all these extensions, right. I need all these extensions, and why is this so slow? Yeah, what a surprise. One of the cool things about IE9 is it will, when you first launch it, it tells you you're running all these things and it's slowing you down. If you turn them off, the browser will run faster. That's a great idea. <laughs> That's a great idea. <laughs> Just tell people stop. Just stop. I, mean, I have that. a bunch of extensions in Chrome and they don't seem to be taking nearly the tolls my extensions. No, are. I do too. Uh, although, right. <laughs> it was funny because. Just before the show, and, and the people who were watching the live stream on the show uh, saw me do this, I went to my website, and there was a little bird next to my name, a little Twitter, and I hovered over it. And you know how I hate these ads where they open up when you accidentally yeah. move your mouth. And, and a whole Twitter thing opened up. I'm like, what the hell is this? And apparently, I don't even remember doing it. I had ins installed some ex Chrome extension that was doing that, so I had to go through all my extensions. By the way, if anybody ever doubts that Anilai is a badass... Just look at his Twitter picture. I love that picture. <laughs> That's a, such a great picture. I'm scared. Uh, man, that goatee was a was a was a victim of of being engaged. This man okay. is an attorney, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> He's hired. I want him to work for. Yeah, yeah. I want him to work for me. <laughs> Every Holy time God. I shave, I shave that goatee, and I walk out of the bathroom, and I, I look at Becky. I'm like, huh? And she's like, uh-uh. And uh -uh. then I go back. Throw it back. <laughs> Throw it back.
So uh, IE9, 2.3 million downloads in the first 24 hours. Now, it's not being pushed. This is people who opened IE8 and said, saw the banner that says want 9 and, and clicked it. That's, that's you know, Microsoft is like dig. People say it's dead, but they still have huge amounts of power in the marketplace. They're, they're, <clears throat> look, at the, look at the Xbox news last week. You yeah, know. 10 million connects and 10 million games, right? right? I mean, that's crazy right. talk. Right. More than the iPhone, the iPad. Yeah. Is, right. It's like, I love that, too, because, you know, Apple is growing it. You know, the fastest consumer selling device, no. fastest selling consumer device. No. And Microsoft, like, a week later is like, no. yeah, <laughs> check it. Although, we, we did it with video games. Although it could be a semantics issue because uh, the people in the chat room said, Connect is not a consumer electronics device. It's an accessory. Wow, that is, you are some pedantic, <laughs> literal some pedantic chatters. You are really living up to that IRC stereotype Literal right <laughs> Will Microsoft kill the Zune? Absolutely. Why not? They have to. And will anyone notice? <laughs> I think they've got to, you know, they've got, they, they're going to have to, I mean, they've integrated that software into Windows Phone 7, and if they, if they want to do, follow the, the line that Apple went, which was a, success, a su successful one, they have to, uh, uh, you know, where Apple really pushed the iPhone software about the iPod. It was the, the one of the three things they mentioned when they first showed the iPhone. They have to do the same thing. They have to say, you know, don't buy a Zune, buy a Windows Phone 7. But why not make a, a, a Zune 3, I guess it would be, that is an iPod Touch competitor? Why not, or why not let That's Samsung true. do that? The Zune was no, so close. If they point. put apps out and all that, they were so close. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a great point. I, I, I think they, you know, they, they need to do that or, or, or hurry up and get the Windows Phone 7 uh, user interface into the tablet market because I think that could be a really amazing competitor mm -hmm. to the iPad. No, I, I, I completely agree with you. And you know, the thing with the Zune, I, I keep on saying this, uh, I feel like everybody in the world has signed up for RDO in the past month. Yeah. Uh, everybody I know and a lot of people I don't know who are now following some stuff on me. Um, and it's like Microsoft had this opportunity and I find it just fascinating that they, they squandered it. I mean, that's what Zune and Zune Pass were. Uh, in a yeah. real way, and they were really great. And I remember so many people I knew with Macs or iPods or whatever who couldn't get Zoom Pass saying, man, that's so great. And now they can get it. They can get it through RDO. RDO. They can get it through MOG. Right. Um, mostly with RDO, I've noticed. But I think people really respond to the social component of RDO. Do you like RDO? I do. I love it. I've been, you know, the, my next gig is apparently RDO evangelist because that's all I'm doing with my time right now. Um, but... <laughs> Well, you really I, I are really out of work, that. aren't you? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm chilling here. I'm asking. I'm, I'm tap dancing. Give me the job. You know, it's, it's bad news. Um, no, I mean, everybody I show it, you know, they really respond to it. And, I, you know, it's easy. It's, it's, so, it's so much five, easier to Five bucks a month that runs on BlackBerry, iOS, uh, Windows Phone 7. Right. And, you know, the thing for me, and Android. Nick, maybe you're in the same place. I have so many devices. I have Android devices and iOS devices and, and like 30 laptops. I can just make it all work using this yeah. one unified service, it's device agnostic. And I feel like that's what Microsoft needs to be doing. They need to be saying, Zune is our unifying music service, and we're a yeah. software company, and we're going to make software that like puts this all together. Uh, I, and that's a huge opportunity for them, and they just blew it completely. And now RDO is, is just stepped into that space, and I, you know, I don't know if you can compete like, really well with the, the, the many players in that space right now. No, and I think that you, you know, I, I see the same thing with, I like, I'm the same way I have God knows how many laptops and I have computers at work and at home and in my car and, and you know, under the bed and I have my iPads and, and Kindles and everything. But 
you know, just for software, for example, like Dropbox has become, you know, the, the yep. thing for me right. where yep. I, yep. Same I, I dropped in, it's done, and that's it. And I don't have to worry about that. And, yep. you know, all these companies could have built those things, but they, they just, you know, they, they flaked on it. Well, I think Microsoft, they, they wanted to do, they wanted to make Zoom, uh, Zoom, they wanted to make Zoom uh, build their platform. It's actually they, pronounced Zeus. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> it's always been a terrible Zoom. name. Uh, but they, you know, they, they sacrificed the Zoom's potential, uh, you know, at the altar of their platform. And yeah. the, the problem is the platform was never good enough to, to pull it off. Right. Well, they also, they also were obsessed with uh, Apple. And they, wanted, they did it because they wanted to kind of bump off Apple and do, um, you know, one of their slow creeps into somebody else's market like they were trying to do with Bing. And they didn't have, you know, they, they started off stupidly with, with ugly, um, ah, ugly hardware brown, and right? really, really brown. bad decisions in terms brown. of the way it's a brown songs brick. were squirted. Yeah. You know, I mean, that Squirting. was just ridiculous. Yeah, that was good. And but the Zune HD was a really nice device. It was. And the software was really good. Great screen. Who's that in the right. background? You got to Neil, Neil, Neil. Is there a party going on at your house? You want to? I'm at my sister's house. There are two. Uh, there are two six-year-old twins. Oh, running. what fun! All right. So they're uh, they're they're charging into rooms and screaming. The, the Zune makes them crazy. <laughs> you know, it's actually really funny. Um, uh, we're here, and we always pick up sayings from the kids because they say really crazy things. And uh, they they say no thank you whenever they don't like anything. Uh, so it's like the Zune, no, no thank you. you. No thank you. <laughs> well, just, so, uh, just uh, after the Zune HD came out, just after it was released, I had a conversation with one of the people who was involved in the marketing of it. I mean, this had, it had just been out for a, few, a week or two. And this person told me that this was going to be the last Zune, that the decision Even was then? Made. Even then, that wow. Microsoft knew what they were going to do with it, wow. and um, and and when I when I heard that, I thought, this, "You finally got it right." You know, why are you doing this? And they just said, "Well, there's other things coming," and that was the Windows Phone Seven. And so this, I, they may have decided to cut their losses and do this as a, you know, as a software development platform, basically that took them to Windows Phone Seven. And and y'all are right; they have got to take this now and continue it further to tablets and. So well, you know, it, you know what the, well, they, they've got to take Windows Phone 7 and tablets, but Zune itself, I think there's still a huge opportunity for Microsoft, and this is yes. going to sound bonkers, to put it on Android and say, this is a preferred Android music experience, because the Android music experience across that whole range of devices sucks, right? Well, that's a great uh, this idea. is your opportunity to say, we're here, and if you like Zune from Microsoft, wow, that's maybe you should try Windows Phone 7. Wow. Uh, which is, this whole UI is here. The whole that's system a great works idea. this well. I mean, that is like Steve Ballmer I mean, is like high on drugs, and he's like, "That's what we're gonna do." But that is my dream. I think that would. <laughs> That's that would wild. Really well. Yeah. I hope they're listening, Nick. You want yeah. to Kevin's startup? That's Kevin's startup. Maybe that's it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Kevin's startup. Kevin Rose is running Zoom now. That's our big <laughs> <laughs> I just wondered um, what you guys thought about when do you think Microsoft? I mean, I I spoke to uh, a pretty high up developer there who worked on the Windows Phone Seven, and I said, "When are you guys going to release a Windows Phone Seven UI tablet?" and he smiled and walked away, uh, which I can only imagine means that they're working on something. But when, what do you, what do or you think? Or he was gonna, he was running off to Steve to say, "Hey, I got an idea." <laughs> <laughs> but when, when uh, do you think it's going to come? I mean, when is when are we going to see a Windows Phone Seven, or when? The, hopefully, they'll rename it Windows Seven or whatever. Um, but a, a tablet that that uses that UI, because I have to it's say, a good like UI, I like it. Really next refreshing year. Next year. Next, It'll be next year. That's what, that's what Windows 8 is. That's Windows 8. Uh, and the, right. so, Windows you know, 8 the will have that dual interface where they'll have a desktop uh, interface 
when it senses it's on an ARM processor or a lighter software, it'll switch to that other interface. And as a result, it'll have twice as much code as it should. This, was, Wait, this is what HP is going to do with WebOS. Right. You know, I've heard this exact thing about Windows 8, um, and I've heard it some, from some pretty good sources that the reason they did all this ARM stuff was so they could take Windows. But people keep saying switch, and you, you just said switch. What is it switching from? I mean, either you have a lap, you're not ripping the screen off your laptop and, and walking away. I mean, you have distinct devices. And I, that's the strength of, uh, I think. In other words, when the, when the installation happens, when you're putting Windows 8 on there, it'll have that Windows 8 kernel. But, but what are you installing it? Are you installing it? Which where it's going? But uh, but what are you? In, how are you installing Windows 8 on a tablet? I mean, that's a completely. You don't do that right now. You don't buy a tablet with no software on it and stick in a disk. I mean, that that's not how that works. I'm speaking in the global we, not necessarily <laughs> consumers. I mean, right? Consumers would do Wait, that, but, but that's so what. Like, no, come on, everybody's right? going to buy well, no, an no, iPad, and then we'll never have anything else. It's all iPad well, all the time. And I, 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 I mean, I, I've funny, heard this exact story that, that Dwight is telling, and I, I believe it. I think that's Microsoft's plan. I just don't get it. Like, I, I, I don't. I, so Lenovo is going to buy a Windows disk and put it into a laptop, and then they're going to take the same disk and put it at the factory. Well, no, the it's, like, it's like um, the iOS has the macOS kernel in it. Well, That's kind of what's at its heart. And... Essentially, Microsoft is going to try to do the same thing. I was being sarc I was being sarcastic and snarky about double the, the lines switch. of code. Right. But the question is, is, is will that graft take? Will that work given Microsoft's technology? I guess is the way I should have put it. Well, what about so is HP's WebOS? They've announced WebOS everywhere. Similar idea. Uh, all PCs will come with Windows and WebOS. Yeah. So this is a big. I think what HP is trying to do with WebOS is. You know, they're taking their first baby steps away from Microsoft. Windows and the desktop, yeah, and yeah. from Microsoft. And they've already taken a huge step away from them on the phone and on the tablet. You know, they, I've seen scrapped HP designs for Windows Phone 7 devices that they threw away, and for Android devices that they threw away. Um, and there's some lingering remnants of Android. They, they have a printer that runs Android, I think. Um, and all that's going to be WebOS in the future. Um, and on the desktop and on the tablet, I think... This is going to be a really hard, you know, HP and Microsoft have been huge partners for so long. This is going to be a really hard conversation for them to have when HP is saying, we're not going to run Windows 8 on our tablets. We're going to run WebOS and we already, we're already in the market. We're way ahead of you. Um, and that's going to be for Microsoft, you know, that's one of the big challenges for them is to, to lose one of their big partners in, that, in the space, especially the enterprise space, uh, to, you know, they, they're like, we don't trust you anymore. We're gonna we're gonna buy Palm and do this on our own, and that's a huge challenge for Microsoft. Um, Windows 8 sharing the same you know the, the same kernel and code base. I don't know what the point of that is. I, you know I don't think you're gonna run apps on desktop Windows and then copy the app to to your ARM tablet that's running some version of Windows 8 that's made for ARM. You know Dwight, you're right. I mean there's twice the code, twice the bloat. I feel like what they need to do is focus on this tablet and get away from this idea that everything has to be Windows. And I feel like that's a very Balmer idea. I don't know that that's baked into Microsoft. I think it's baked into Steve Ballmer. And he's really passionate about the Windows brand and what they created with Windows. And I, I, this is Microsoft's like chance to be like, not everything is Windows. Windows is our desktop operating system. They this won't ever do that. System. They will. It's. I mean, that's a Bill Gates thing. Bill Gates was on the with the line Windows everywhere. Right. And I think that that's kind of the way they see the world and the way they're going to do it. I agree with you that what you're describing is what they should do, but Microsoft doesn't 
do they just don't do that for years ago they should have thrown out the windows legacy code and started over with something new and they keep continuing to build on top of this legacy code and they've got a pretty stable product right now with windows 7 but it's taken them a long time to get there well that's xp right I mean, that's the same thing we're talking about xp is right. held back ie for so long i mean right. you, it, eventually they gotta they gotta make the break and you know imagine what it's like to be bill gates i think about this all the time i mean he is I the do pioneer too. I know how you of feel. natural interface <laughs> He's been, well, not like that. I mean, oh, I imagine okay. rolling around in huge beds of money. And, <laughs> yeah, like, that's what I know. thought you meant, naked. Yeah, yeah. well, always, oh, come oh, on. Like, that's, that's <laughs> table stakes. That's nudity. given, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, but, you know, he's the pioneer of national interface. He's, he is, the, 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 for so long, the thought leader of what does, what's the next generation of interface going to be. It's going to be touch and voice and, and uh, you know, movement, all this stuff. And, you know, they've pioneered with Connect. I think that's great. But, you know, I think Google's way out in, in the marketplace with voice. And Apple is clearly leading with touch in a lot of ways. And Microsoft is kind of like, oh, we should make a new operating system for tablets. And I can't imagine how Bill Gates feels about that. I, I, if, if I were him, I would, I would have to spend an extraordinary amount of money to get over that. Yeah. Well, he can. Um, That's the case. <laughs> can we uh, can we jump to I uh, I I saw on the list a, a really interesting question. Thank um, God. La yes, please. Larry Page <laughs> wants to return Google to its startup roots. Oh, let's talk about uh, that in just a moment. Yes, indeed. Nick Bilton is with us. He is from the New York Times. Nilay Patel. He's alone. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> so lonely. Hey, man, I got juice with so me. He's, he's, it's him and Juice, and uh, and <laughs> Dwight Silverman. I'm so sorry. It's so Palmer. That's uh, Dwight Silverman up there in the upper right-hand corner. He's with the uh, Houston Chronicle. I'm talking right now about our friends at Audible.com. Audible is a great bookstore of audio entertainment, 75,000, I think maybe 80,000 uh, titles right now in the uh, Audible bookstore. It's just amazing how they've grown. We want to give you two of them for free. If you go to Audible.com slash twit, the number two, Audible.com slash twit two, you're, you know, here's the challenge with Audible. Is you've got to browse through these and find... I mean, there's so many books. It's hard to pick just one. I see a new one from Michio Kaku. We love him, the physicist who uh, is an expert on string theory, a great visionary. Uh, Moonwalking with Einstein. Huh? That's an amazing book. Have you read that? Joshua Farr. I got an advanced copy of it. it he's a fantastic writer, and it's a, a really, really fantastic book. It's about it's, uh, uh, brains? Well, he he um, he was working on a story uh, about I, I forget what it was, but he was he ended up in New Jersey and uh, and I'll, I'll keep this quick. But he ended up in New Jersey and he had a little time to kill and he ended up at this old museum for like the the, the really strong guys that do all this weightlifting. And he was wandering around and Josh was like a small guy and he said, I wonder if there's such a thing as a museum for smart people. Uh, and he what he ended up finding was people that um, can memorize things. And he went through this quest of learning how to memorize. Uh, and um, he he could he ended up winning the United States World Champions um, memory contest, and he shows how you can actually do it and how wow. it works, and it's fascinating. Have you done this, Nick? Are, is your memory perfect now? I, I have ADD, so I can remember like a, a sentence, and then I'm bored, and I'm like on with something else. So. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I think we all that's kind of that's yeah. a given in this business. But it's a great it's a great read. It's, I definitely recommend. Well, you it. just picked my Audible book. I can't wait to read this there next. So here's the this is what happens with Audible. You go to audible.com and you say. And do you find an incredible book like this, Moonwalking with Einstein, uh, by Joshua Furr, F-O-E-R. Is that how you say it? Furr? Furr? Joshua Furr. Furr. Yeah. And, uh, and, you, and you download it and you listen to it. Now, you get two books, so that's one. 
There's plenty of things to choose from. Bestsellers, uh, classics, romance, mysteries, and thrillers. I always go to the sci-fi section. Audible's got this program called uh, Audible Frontiers where they record classic sci-fi that was never turned into audiobooks. Uh, of course, there's a lot of new sci-fi in here, too, but I'm going back and looking at the Heinlein and the uh, Isaac Asimov and the Philip K. Dick, and it's so much fun to read. Oh, look, the Difference Engine is out, William Gibson and Bruce Sterling. That was an amazing book. Audible just released that as an audiobook on their Audible uh, Frontiers program. See, this is what's cool about Audible. Pick two books. They're yours to keep. Just go to audible.com slash twit2. That's the Platinum account, two books a month. A good way, really, uh, to uh, get a lot of reading done. See, the thing about reading is who has time anymore? But on the other hand, don't we all spend a lot of time in the car, at the gym, or cleaning the house where you could be reading if you could only hold a book? Well, that's what Audible does for you. It gives you a chance to get some reading done, and I love it. Did you, did you, are you going to see that new movie, The Lincoln Lawyer? I can't wait to see that, the Matt McConaughey movie. Here's the original novel. Read the novel. I like to read the novel or listen to the novel before I see the movie. Yeah, that's just my habit. And when you listen to Audible, it's like a movie in your unfolds in your brain. I really love that. Audible.com slash twit2. It plays back on all your portable devices and, of course, on your computer, too. You can even burn CDs. Audible.com slash twit2. Get your first two free right now. You're going to love it. So, uh, Nick, take over here. What the, uh, Remind me again, what was the question that you... Uh, the, the Larry Page story this week that uh, that he's saying he wants to bring Google back to its startup's roots, and I I really don't think it's possible. I don't well, I don't even know what it means. Does he want to go back to the <laughs> old days when you could still have Larry, a dinner with Larry and Sergey? And uh... I, I maybe I mean I, I I think that he thinks that it's become too much of a corporation and it's become too much of a um, uh, you know there's too much of a process. It's too big. There's how many? What fifty thousand employees? How do you? How do you go back to a startup? Although I, I, I have just, to give credit to, to the Google, the Googler, the Googles, because uh, in, in one way they have done that by making sure that these teams are fairly autonomous. So it's like a big company with a lot of little, little startups within. Well, but they're, they're, like autonomous. Yeah. they're not completely autonomous. I think it's a kind of a bit of a fallacy that they are. I have friends that work there and have, have worked there. And although you're autonomous within this group, once you're pro and you build this product, once it's done, it still has to be approved by someone higher up. And it, it, it can sometimes get knocked back down. And, right. uh, and, and so there, there is autonomy in the fact that you get to build things and you have ideas. And, and I think that it's an amazing company for that. But, I, but it still has the bureaucracy that, that every other company well, in, in corporation in America does. Yeah. I think Google is the most fascinating company in American business. I'm, I think I'm obsessed with Google. I'm, I like worry about how much I think about Google. Um, if you, you know, they don't, they don't sell anything <laughs> to the consumer at all, right? And right. people have this incredible trust of Google. Uh, and you know, people talk about like, oh, the geniuses from Google. And it's like, well, they have one product that's awesome, right? They do, they do search really well, and Gmail's really good, and then you know, Android's great, and. But then they have all these other products that kind of don't make any sense uh, and sometimes don't work, like, you know, Wave or whatever. And it's there's so much goodwill placed upon Google. And they, you know, the, the natural tension between what they give people and what they take from people is so great that I think they need to always have a bureaucracy and a process. And I think what Larry's getting at is, you know, when I started Google, uh, nobody knew what we were doing and there were no rules and there were no, uh, there was no market for what we were giving people. And I want to get back to that feeling that we could build anything we wanted and we were inventing the rules for the marketplace as we went. And, and I think that's admirable. I think you want that from a CEO. But 
I think when you've become Google and you are messing with people's privacy on a, a large, enormous, uh, cataclysmic way in some ways, you can't get away from having an, an army of lawyers to yeah. tell you what you can and can't do. I, yeah. I don't know that you can walk away from that. Look at what you know. Look at Mark Zuckerberg with Facebook when he he said I forget where he said it. I don't know if it was an all things D thing, but he said you know we we don't think about privacy as much. We we just build things and put them out there like we were a company Oops. of uh, you know with a hundred users or whatever. And and he got shredded for that. And yep. I and I think that, that when these companies get this big, um, they have they really have to be careful what they're doing, especially especially with the you know the privacy stuff that's going on right now. This article is by Stephen Levy. I presume this is an excerpt from his new book. He's publishing a book about Google. Yeah. The best quote in here, I love this, Marissa Meyer, vice president of Google, says, you can't understand Google unless you know that both Larry and Sergey were Montessori kids. Um, <laughs> the, were, you, were you a Montessori kid, Leo? Uh, no, but my kids are Montessori kids. Montessori I, I was is, a Montessori kid. Were you? So describe that. What, is that. what does she mean by that? Um, what, what is a Montessori well, it, kid? Well, so Montessori is the, the preschool I went to. and the, actually, the two It's an educational were, philosophy by a woman named Maria Montessori, and this, she, this is 100 years old, but uh, there are a lot of Montessori schools around now. And the idea in a Montessori school is you have works, which are little projects, and you can move around. The, the idea was the kid will teach his or herself, him or herself uh, by moving around from work to work, and the works are age-appropriate. So Montessori's go from preschool uh, to, uh, to eighth grade and probably even beyond. Uh, my parents, when it was like time to learn math and, and, and reading and suffer for real, quote, real, uh, they definitely took me out and put me in a more traditional school. Uh, but I like it because it honors the student's interest. It, it encourages kind of, and that's what she says. It's She, she says uh, Montessori is baked into their approach to problems. They're always asking, why should it be like that? She said it's the way their brains were programmed early on. You agree with that? I, I no. <laughs> I mean, it's a school. It's a nice you know, spin. I, went there. Yeah, yeah. I don't think of myself as being a Montessori kid. That's why I asked you. Like, I went to a preschool. It had a, a style of education. I haven't, you know, I went to a, a university and in graduate school, too. It, it's not like you would say, well, to understand Neil, you, you have to know that you, he went to the University of Wisconsin. You can't study law at a Montessori school. Right, exactly, because you would never be interested <laughs> in that <laughs> by yourself. You have to be forced. Right. You have to be forced to do it. Right. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I think it's an interesting point when I think it, it speaks to their personality. I, I think it's a great quote. I, it's, I find it a little more humorous than talent, Well, it I may guess. even be spin. It may be Mar Marissa's, you know, trying to tell a story around. Well, uh, it also around. describes, you know, the, the way Google works. I mean, you at the start of this conversation, we talked about them having autonomous little groups. That's exactly as it. As your works. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it describes kind of the structure of Google itself. And actually, right, so, the university uh, two stories to that. Well, go ahead. Finish, and uh, I'll tell my quick little bits. I was going to say, you know, a university is a Montessori school because you go, yeah, you have to learn certain things, but then you go and find the things you're interested in and focus on that. So the university is Montessori as well. I definitely tried to find as many girls as possible when I was at university. Yeah, <laughs> well, there's a, that's a kind of works, works of a kind. Yeah, no, uh, so, that you know, you're right about Google in that sense. Um, so, that, you know, Google TV was a 20% project, right? And it's mm -hmm. maybe maybe it shouldn't have been elevated. It still is. Into a real, <laughs> it still kind of is. Actually, but it should be, was, should be a 10% project now, yeah. I think there's, they, I've heard some rumblings that they're, they're in the market. They're in the planning phase of a big relaunch. But, uh, but that was like a 20% project that grew into uh, a real project for the company. And that's like pretty great. Normal companies don't have a pathway for that. Uh, and then Android, you know, the Android team is in a tiny little building uh, and they 
probably need more space. Uh, and from what I've heard, Andy Rubin doesn't want to give people more space. He wants it to feel like a cloistered startup that has to scrap for success. And that's one of the ways that he preserves that atmosphere. Uh, I think that's that's cool. I think that's the sort of stuff Larry should focus on. So Steve not, Jobs did with the Mac team, right? Where the, where right, the you uh, put them away right. and they're on their own, and you say you guys are in, in charge of your destiny, and you've got to succeed. And if you fail, like well, everything about this goes away. Not you work at this huge office building, and if you fail, you know you still we're the safety net. Yeah, yeah, right. So I, I think that stuff is maybe what Larry should focus on, not more not these we can just do whatever we want because we're a new company the the other thing that i think that they should focus on you know they're they're, they're really going for social and I, I have a little anecdotal story I, I um a few a couple of years ago i was a little bit fed up at the times and i was looking at other places to work and uh, and i spoke to some execs at google and you know there was a job that i was really interested in and uh, and and we were about to start this like application process and, they, and one of them said well do you have a degree and I said, no. And they said, well, I don't think you'll be able to get a job here. Wow. And I said, well, would Mark Zuckerberg be able to get a job here? And they were like, hmm. And I said, would uh, Bill Gates be able to? Like, and went through a list of people that I know that don't have degrees. And, and they said, we have a system here and an algorithm that we follow um, and a degree and these other things are, are, are a big part of that. And, and what I, and I, and I could have pushed and, and, you know, and tried to like go for this, this job, but I sat there and I thought to myself, how can these people figure out social if all they have within this organization are the people that are the top tier of the educational base and, and don't necessarily have social experiences in the same way that, that people um, that are using these services do. And, I, and I, I think that that's a big reason why this company really is having such a hard time figuring out the, the social aspect of the web. Hmm. Very interesting. Well, it's well, good. It's, I yeah, can't it's wait to read the book. Geeks. It's built for geeks. Well, that's, that's the, the geeks with degrees. That's, that's the bottom line, right? I mean, I don't have a degree either. I guess I, I'm going to have to throw out my dream of working at Google. <laughs> <laughs> Someday we'll all work for Google. Oh, there. we do already, yeah. Dwight. That's yeah, the right. beauty of their business model. We're all working for Google. Facebook is going <laughs> to start putting uh, Major League Baseball. Uh, on its site now, the first movies now Major League Baseball, according to Peter Kafka, writing for All Things D. Um, Major yeah, League Baseball's page has streaming games. Very interesting. What's Facebook yeah. up to here? Is this a global what? strategy or just? They're going I think for the real question is what is uh, what is baseball up to? Well, um, baseball's just going to go anywhere they can, right? Well, I think what everyone is going where they can, right? I mean, yeah. the, the, I think what Facebook is up to is. Is I, I teach a course at NYU. It's called One Two Ten, right? And it, it's about designing interfaces for the one foot mobile phone, two foot computer, right. and ten foot television experience. And Facebook is not in the ten foot experience yet. And I think that they they know that's the next frontier for the web. People are cutting their cable and all these things, and and they want they want to be available in that spot. And that's why they're going for streaming and and, and Netflix and all right, these other things. They, you know, they're doing they did movies a few weeks ago, right? Um, they think they had the Dark Knight streaming on Facebook, right? Um, right, but. You know, the flip side of this is if you look at baseball has suddenly started putting its content everywhere it can. I think they're uh, quite smart, it, yeah. It's made Thanks. it extremely accessible and extremely, like, friendly. And I think that what they're really trying to do is they ha there's this perception that baseball is the old stuffy right. sport. And most of the people I know, they like baseball because they can drink a bunch of baseball games. Uh, and, and they don't really watch baseball. It's a bunch of and farm I, boys with shovel handles. Uh, and a big exactly. It's, it's a right. pastoral <laughs> game. It is not 21st century by any means. Yeah, it's not, you know, like the NFL is like a high-tech. Right. Like NBA. Armor. 
right? Um, and I, I think it's cool that baseball is like, we have to be out there. We have to put our product in front of people to make them like it. We can't I, just be. I like this because the clip that's distribution. The clip that's on the Facebook page uh, was apparently test clip three. We just watched. So, <laughs> <laughs> they're um, what they're doing at uh, at MLB is essentially this is a, a come on to get you to go and and use their premium service. I think they put a game uh, a day on there. Yeah, that's and, smart. And I bought, I bought the. I buy they have an and iPad, so, Android, and iPhone app, and of course I have the iPad app because I can watch I, games on it. And have you noticed that each year that app gets more and more expensive? Sure, why not? It's gone up like <laughs> I think it's like doubled almost every year. It's it's gotten it's quite. Hey, there's going to be a football strike. We got to watch something. Right. There's going to be a football strike. <laughs> oh yeah, did you know they they liked other players? Down. I'm not a I'm not a big sports guy. Sorry. Really, you look like you might have played football in uh, Montessori <laughs> school. <laughs> now, football in Montessori school is you get to run around the field doing works that you enjoy. I don't care the for the day, football. I'd no like score. to go kick that flower. So, Actually, so I think I, I think we should uh, we should end on a, a sad note and, okay. and maybe talk about Japan and the uh, and how it's going to affect the business of electronics. Yeah, let's yeah well, let's wrap it up because I, uh, I I think uh, of course and I, I talked about this last week. It's pretty hard to talk about technology news. It really isn't that important when it comes to things like uh, an earthquake, tsunami, and thousands dead in Japan. However. Japan does produce quite a bit of the electronics that we use, not so much the uh, devices. You know, this device, the iPad's made in China, but the NAND flash inside of it is made in Japan. Yeah. And uh, oh, many I, of those I, factories were in the Sendai area. I, 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 you know, it's funny, as a technology reporter who works next, I work right next to guys that are reporting on what's going on in Japan and the, and the you know, environmental desk and, and so on. And, and, I and I was writing about, you know, the line at the Apple store the other day. And I sat there and I was like, what am I doing? Yeah. Same time, I realized that it's important for me to, for us to talk about this stuff because, um, you know, those NAND flash drives are going to pay for some kid's uh, health insurance in Japan. And they're going right. to put food on the table for right. somebody else out there, you know. And I, and I think that that's why it's, it is still important to talk about this stuff as a, a global economic uh, discussion. I think it's also important to note that how fragile the technology oh we rely on is you know oh we boy. we have hurricanes down here in the gulf coast all the time our power goes out we have you know we lose all of our um, creature comforts and every time that happens i think this is just like this is eggshell thin and you seeing the same thing happen in japan is that it's this is kind of a little taste of of uh, of just uh, how easy it would be for us to go back to uh, you know a very much more basic way of living yeah, Nick, you know, I think the, uh, that New York Times photo with, you know, the, it was a slideshow with, with a slider that showed you before and after satellite photos. Oh, that's an amazing, that amazing uh, thing. And I think that actually, in its way, uh, was the most successful piece of reporting out of Japan. Because you don't, you know, facts and figures are one thing, but people actually seeing uh, how easily things can just be literally wiped off the map uh, more people I know have like donated and tried to help in, in their own little ways because they yeah. saw that than any story. Um, I, yeah, that's actually you know the time you know you talk about the Times paywall like that's sort of the stuff I would I would always that's pay exactly for. What Bill, Bill Keller, that, I mean that's what Bill Keller is arguing that that you know the paywall is there to make sure these things exist and without it they won't. And uh, you know there was I, there was two other things I tweeted this week um, on Nick Dalton on Twitter and one was um, the the graphic that they did the Times did about explaining how a reactor explodes and what happens mm -hmm. and how you 
Fallout was mm-hmm. was fascinating. Um, and then there was another one that was in Week in Review this this week, which was a story about lessons from Chernobyl um, that Japan can learn, and it explaining just how the sarcophagus has been built around the Chernobyl uh, atomic disaster, and, and and how it's still just as bad as it was uh, when it happened decades ago. And um, and you know, I think there's been some they've done some amazing reporting. It, it really has been fantastic. Yeah, and I have to commend them, and uh, I'm sure you're involved in this. They've really made the interactive. The online yeah. side, amazing. I mean, it is, and this is what you need to do if you're going to survive, I think. This is Absolutely. critical. Yeah, and I, think, I think people will pay for that. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. I, no, I don't think anybody's going to pay for the daily on the iPad. Has uh, anybody seen a link to the daily? I mean, the, I, I haven't. Nobody sent me one. No. Nobody's going to like, check out this news in the daily. No. They, they don't link out. You can't. No, you can't. But there's you, a way can, to share, and I don't see anybody sharing their links. Yeah, that's what that's what I mean. Nobody, so you, what is what is it? I mean, I I've tried the daily briefly, and it's like, I'm sorry, I'm not going to pay for this. So what is there is? Can you send email a link? Is that what you do? You can post it to Twitter. You can email and fax it. it, and you can, uh, you can fax, fax it. it. <laughs> you can fax it. You can print it out and give it to your neighbor. But if you it if actually, I click that link in Twitter, what do stuff. I get? You get you, you tweet it out. You put in your Twitter credentials. Yeah, but what you, you use the API? Yeah, but what? But I can't get back in, right? It's paid. It doesn't. It doesn't open the app, but it, it, there's an HTML HTML page for every story. Oh, and it right? doesn't link so, to any other stories, though. Right. Yeah, it's a very. But you also can't share every story. Some of them, when no, you go to share them, it says this this story can't be shared. Right. I don't. It's you, very, you know it's what? Very strange. So I, I think to, to the Daily's credit, um, I, I do really like the voice. You know, they have a lot of young reporters and they have fun and like and they crack jokes and and, and you actually get that in there and they explain things in a, in a, in a really um, unique way that, that it's not stuffy like the Times or the Journal. And and it's an, it's I think it reaches an audience that wants news that is news, but is not too too stuffy. Um, but I think that you're going to see the same thing that's happened with, uh, for example, the iPhone on AT&T. Eventually, it's going to be everywhere. It's this, the, the daily will only be on the iPad for um, a certain amount of time, and then you're going to start to see it on every other device. Really? Including, yeah, absolutely. Hmm. But, but the hook for that is the news has to be good enough to drive you to the device. Yes. And I, have, I haven't seen that yet. And I right. think that's – I don't know if that, that relationship, that incentive structure will ever actually work because, yep. you know, it's the news and – the news is this happened and you can find out that this happened like anywhere uh, almost yeah. all and of it is commodity it's you know very little very of it in so. there is compelling and some and nick you know some of the stuff i've seen in there has just been embarrassing they did something on um uh on a dating service that puts a heart monitor on you and it tests <laughs> how uh when you're meeting somebody at your date whether how you react to the things they say and it was just embarrassingly bad and, yeah. and that's the kind of thing I see in there all the time. I'm not sure that, you know, there's there, there's young and fresh and there's kind of young and inexperienced and embarrassing. And that's most of what I've seen. Did you see the video a couple of weeks ago that they did where um, it was about a, um, a psychotherapist in New York City who undresses uh, um, while she's um, doing psychotherapy to make the, her customers feel more comfortable uh, until she gets fully naked? I'm comfortable that right now. That makes you more comfortable? Actually, that's making me uncomfortable. <laughs> Make, more comfortable. You should watch the video. It's actually quite funny. But I, I, actually, I thought it was a spoof. Is that an onion? Is that an onion story? <laughs> I thought Baratunde did it. Yeah, really? <laughs> All right. Well, this has been so much fun. I hate to wrap it up, but it's great to have you guys. Of course, we thank Kevin Rose for joining us at KevinRose.com. Dwight Silverman at the Houston Chronicle. Thank you for being here. It's always a pleasure. And this has been a great twit. I think of all the twits I've done, this one 
uh, has just been the best. Thank you, guys. Well, when you get class acts like you guys on, it really does make a difference. I'm going to take off my clothes next time to make you all feel more comfortable. <laughs> That's my big plan here. Oh, my God, everybody. <laughs> wow. Oh, my God. I think I saw a little hairy navel there. Twitch oh, got super weird. <laughs> we, could, uh, we can get one of those triple X twit domains. <laughs> oh, good idea. Leo, do you have twit.triple X? I'm going to get it right now. Twit, because that's legal now. You can yeah. do it. You can build a website in two seconds. <laughs> Houston Chronicle, blogs.cron.com slash tech blog. Thank you, Dwight. Nilay Patel, he's uh, at Reckless on Twitter. That's pretty much it. Free agent for a while. Free agent. I like it. And uh, and uh, and Montessori kid, yes, yes, Montessori. Kid. Lest we forget, we got some words to do. Nick Bilton, what's your excuse? Uh, did you? What was your educational background? Uh, I grew up in England. And I went to a private school called Barnard Castle, and, and then I got expelled. Uh, Isn't that the one that's like looks like Hogwarts? Exactly like Hogwarts. It's like I eight hundred years old. And there's four houses, and it's like there's the Gryffindors and the like. Yeah, and I learned. It's Hogwarts. You went to Hogwarts. <laughs> I went to Hogwarts, uh, nice. but I was. I was bad with my potions class, and they kicked me out of school. Oh, that's Snape. Um, He's such a son of a... <laughs> and then I, I moved to America, and uh, and then it all went downhill from there. So you actually effectively went to the opposite of a Montessori school. Yeah, pretty much. You went to a school went where to they play. still caned the children. Oh, I got caned. I got caned. I got the wooden spoon. I got the slipper. <laughs> this sounds like you played a really old game of Monopoly. By the way. <laughs> I got caned. I, oh, I got caned. I, um, uh, I once drew a picture of a robot with breasts uh, and I got um, in front of the entire school from my, uh, you know, pornography that I had created, I got uh, caned in front of everyone. It was, uh, it, it wasn't fun. Wow. Yeah. Man, wow. It's a great looking robot too. Yeah. Makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> Thank you, Nick, for being here. Really a pleasure. I appreciate it. And thanks to you all for joining us. Don't forget, uh, we are doing a photo walk uh, next, when is that? Next week? Next Saturday. So uh, that's uh, for our Mostly Photo show with Lisa Bettany. If you go to MostlyPhotoAdventures.com, you can find out more. It's really going to be a, a lot of fun. I'm not going to be able to be there, but uh, Lisa's going to bring a, an actual uh, trained photographer. So that should be fun. At the Ferry Building uh, and Marketplace, 2 p.m. Saturday, March 26th. Please do uh, RSVP at uh, the website, MostlyPhotoAdventures.com. Dot com. You can learn more about the 2011 Ford Explorer. Uh, our photo walk brought to you by the 100% invented. I'm sorry, reinvented. That's a big distinction. 100% reinvented 2011 Ford Explorer. Mostly photoadventures.com. And thanks to Ford and the uh, new Explorer for our mostly photo show. We do this show live every Sunday, round about uh, 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern. You're invited to watch live at live.twit.tv. We had a great studio audience today. Seven people jammed in this itty-bitty room. Uh, and they were all nice and quiet. I think most of them were sleeping, actually. So that's very comfortable. I here. doubt it. I, doubt <laughs> it. I like how the sun has literally set on me. Yeah, basically. Uh, I'm in p the pitch black now. So. <laughs> that's how long this show was. It was high <laughs> noon when we began. Yeah. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. We'll see you next week. Another twit this is in the can. Thanks, guys. What a You're right, Dwight. Great. Yeah. Awesome show. Yeah. Awesome show. Right.